Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is Wednesday, July the 27th, uh, 2022. This is episode 3132 of the Survival Podcast. And I got a great one for you today. We are going to be joined by the permaculture pimp himself, uh, the founder, along with his son, of the permaculture pimp cast, Billy Bond. And we're going to talk about feeding your livestock and soil for free or for almost no cost. So we're going to talk about how to feed chickens for free. We're going to talk about how to get compost for free. And we're going to talk about how to raise pork. At an average price for Billy to raise his pork, it's about 25 cents a pound. That's not 25 cents a pound for the feed. That's 25 cents a pound for the yielded pork at the end of a rotation when a pig graduates to bacon and biddle bites, right? Um, Billy's a good dude. Uh, I did not really know about him or his work until I went to Self-Reliance Expo. And the TSP world has a way of coming full circle. For instance, many of you guys know occasionally I mention uh, my friend David uh, on the show. Occasionally he's like this uh, unofficial part of the show, right, unofficial uh, cast member, because he's never actually been on the show. But it turns out that, that back about 1994-ish, I probably threw him out of a bar several different times uh, when I used to work security at a bar here uh, in, in the North Texas area. Uh, it was never really a problem. It's just they were the kind of people that, They wouldn't leave after the, it was closing time. It was time to go out the door. Uh, now, Billy, turns out we probably drank a beer or three together a few years before that, probably around 91, 92-ish. I don't remember exactly what we figured out. But when I was stationed in Panama, at that same time, Billy uh, was in the, the military as well. He came down to go to jungle school at JOTC. And so that was on the Pacific, uh, the Atlantic side. I was on the Pacific side. But they would get, you know, R&R, &R, and they would come over to our side because there's really nothing on the Pacific side uh, military-wise for R&R. So they would come to the Fort Clayton NCO Club, which is where everybody went. And when we started talking about it, we're like, we probably drank beer or two together. And at the same time, right about the same time, I did two rotations out of JOTC, one for a project with an alphabet agency and another one for an aircraft E&E uh, &E course. So... It's, it's funny to me that we have this overlap in the way things come together. And when I met Billy, it made sense because it was like meeting a brother I never knew. Uh, like immediately, just one of those people you hit it off with. And then I watched his presentation and saw the work that he's doing. Immediately asked him to be on the show. And he's also going to be instructing, unless something gets in the way of it with life events, at the November workshop uh, on these very topics. So that's how highly I think of Billy, that it, it took 10 minutes of meeting him And one presentation to be like, you need to be part of what we're doing. And I also have gotten him to claim his podcast on Fountain so you can boost his podcast. That is the Permaculture Pimpcast. I think he and his son are up to episode seven of that. And they're kind of finding their wheels. When you start a podcast, it takes a while. But I think they're really starting to settle into it. All right. So next up, before we get to bringing Billy on through the live feed, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is Jam Bullion. I love Jam Bullion. Yes, I push Bitcoin. Yes, I think Bitcoin belongs in your wealth portfolio. But I also think things like, you know, 
equities and stocks and bonds and maybe ETFs belong in your portfolio of wealth. Real estate belongs in your portfolio of wealth. And precious metals that you can put your hands on belong there. We, that's actual diversification. Because your equities, your stocks, your dollars, that's all denominated in dollars. Real estate is denominated in dollars, but it's backed by real property. So it begins to move to true diversification. Bitcoin, yeah, we denominate it in dollars, but it's not dollars. It's actual, it's its own thing. And then silver and gold as well. So that's my portfolio plan. That's what I do. It's what I recommend you do. JM Bullion is the place to get your precious metal, though. Because all the orders ship free. Because they have better pricing than like Monix, Atmex, Lear Capital. And because I can correct problems. I had a problem. I had a problem recently, a few weeks ago. A guy had some stuff stolen out of the mail. And flat out, one of the CSRs at JM Bullion made a bad call. It happened near a weekend. My first email that went to Michael did not go through. When he got my email that Monday, it was an immediate fix this now and it got done. This is why Lear Capital specifically tried to become a sponsor of this show. And when they would not let me, I didn't want to do it anyway because I didn't want to have two silver and gold houses. But I, I was curious, like, well, can I have, like, the direct contact to your CEO, your president, at least somebody at a director level? And it's like, no, I'm Tom for marketing. Okay, Tom for marketing, no, but go away. This is the kind of thing. People, This dude that had this problem ordered over $30,000 worth of silver. And it was a couple hundred bucks worth that needed to be replaced. And it's supposed to be insured, and it was. So it's not that nobody can ever make a mistake. It's that if there's a mistake, there's a correction. And that is why I am so proud to have worked with Jan Bullion for so long. And I know that we have done multi-millions of dollars in business with them over like eight years. And anything that ever went sideways was fixed. You don't get that just anywhere. So I wouldn't buy your silver and gold from anybody but Jan Bullion. And if you're an MSB member on purchases of $300 or more, at least once a month, you can get a discount. You can't do it every week. All right. Next up today, BulkAmmo.com. The other precious metal is copper-jacketed lead. You have a gun. You have no ammo. Guess what you got? You got an overpriced club or maybe a barter item or something that will get you killed because you can't use it to defend yourself, but the other party doesn't know that. You need ammo for your weapons. You need them for defense. You need them for training, and you need them for putting food on the table. This is another incredibly loyal sponsor. Over seven years as a sponsor. Their term just ran out. Send them an email, immediately cut a check for the full year again, said you guys are great, and we're going to continue to support the MSB as well. So check them out today, BulkAmmo.com. Now, it's time for Boostagrams. Yes, these are little messages that you guys have sent me when boosting the show. This is as many of them as I could find and get in an organized fashion since yesterday. There's quite a few of them, so I'm going to go fast. I may not read your entire Boostagram online But there's a really cool one in here that completely made my day yesterday. Wait till you hear it. You'll know it when you do. Starting out, Top W. Cone says, Boost 79 Sats Troll. Can you reach out to John Pugliano and let him know he needs to claim his podcast on Fountain? He says he already did so. I, I sent him a text today, and I said, If you don't claim your podcast on Fountain, you hate money. Don't hate money. So we'll see if a financial investment manager will will actually take the free Bitcoin he would get with value for value. I'm sure he will when he figures out how to do it. Uh, next up, uh, user 619326363sats. I'm so glad Texas Slim made it on the show. I've been shaking KNC Cattle Rancher's hand at Tay since 40 sats with a heart and fire. 
So thank you for taste. Again, if you're hearing this, you're like, I sent more than that. Remember, I do split my booster grants with Tom, my web admin. So the other 20% goes to Tom. Uh, my tomato... My tomato, I'm just going to say that. Why not grow your own chili peppers and boost with 40 sats? Well, why? Because the A's are trendy peppers that I recommend. You can spend $6 and get enough of them to make the chili oil for like five years. That's why. So I use my garden space to grow other chili peppers. Uh, thanks for the show. My life is so much better because of the things that I have done due to listening to you. Since I found you in 2011, boost 792 sats, user 3082. Uh, boost 396. I sure wish we still had Buffalo or two roaming around. User 97713. Chartreuse says, Seems boosted sats are regenerated on new listing sessions even after the daily limit is reached. 255 for me today, but it depends on the earnings multiplier. I think what he's saying is, if you uh, boost out your sats, then your earnings can reset for those of you that earn by listening. Good stuff as always, says JDiddy84, boost 18 sats. Boost 20 sats from user 4167. Thanks for great information. Boost uh, Boondoggle Farms. Uh, boost 24 grams, JDiddy84. Great episode as usual. Very exciting stuff. Boost 40 sats. Troll is what's for dinner from Le Left Seat Life. Boost 40 sats. Carrick 8. Troll Boost. What a great pub name for a meetup. So uh, appropriate for this moment. For those that don't know, Google the Irish term Pogue Mahone. Indeed, Google Pogue Mahone. And that's where the Fort Worth, Fort Bitcoin meetup will be in August. I believe August 9th. Milson just sends me a heart and 40 sats. Thank you, Milson. Top Cone. Troll. Oh, we already read that one. Boost, 63 sats. I'm so glad, Slim. I already read that one. Uh, at Taste, Boost, 40 sats. Uh, Nomad Joe. Great work. Boost, 1,759 sats. Thank you, sir. Jerk Boost, thank you from the Church Christ Farms. Let's go, trolls. May you rest in pieces. Boost 158 sats. Boost 44 sats from Evan Young. Reward share. Boost 44 sats. Evan, I already heard that one. Troll, keep up the good work, Jack. We appreciate you. You helped me get into gardening, which I never cared about before. Thanks a lot. DRT Boost 40 sats. Uh, when is it possible for BTC trend price to reverse four sats from Ingle? In Angelo, I Angelo 2020. We don't know. We don't know. But I'm still saying 20 grand with all the crap going on. That's Bitcoin for you. That's good to go. Uh, I'm glad you had Texas Slim on your show. I've been following his work a lot recently. I'm a cattle rancher and signed up as a producer on the Beef Initiative a few weeks ago. Boost 7,917 sats. Thank you, sir, for that. Dallas Smith, I'm in Canada, would love to be part of the Beast of Initiative. I just don't have a website or a computer. Uh, but Dallas said he's already selling direct to the customer. You are, in a way, spirit brother to the Beef Initiative. I don't know that they're doing anything global just yet. But get on over to Beef Initiative and fill out a form. Maybe you'll sign up. And thanks for the 792 sats. Um, sounds like a great thing from user 7507, 396 sats. Boosting the dip, B-Glass 2, 880 sats. Boosting the dip. Same guy, another 1,759 sats. Dude, thank you. Trolls can eat grass. I have beef, says uh, user cyan, I guess is the handle there, 20 sats. Tr uh, Jack, best episode, best guest, bar none, and that is saying a lot. Keep doing what you're doing, and this was for Texas Slim yesterday, 198 sats. Uh, EWA sent. Thanks so much for putting me on Fountain and getting me to think more about value for value platforms. 40 sats from, from, from that guy. 
And then Fiat, a dollar. CureCaster also lets you send in Boostergrams and can be funded using Strike or Cash App, very similar to how Wallet and Fountain is funded. That is from Stephen B. Thank you for that. Another great episode, still figuring out Fountain, but getting there, 10 stats from DW Duck. Uh, wow, there's just so many. But this is the one made my whole day yesterday. I And I realized reading these, I can't read them all every day. It's going to take up, it's going to add too much time to the podcast. But um, this one I really wanted to share with you guys. This came from Petar, P E T A R, boost 39,583 sats. This is a 50,000 sat boost. But here's what he said Adam Curry told me this is the best survival podcast in the universe. And I have to agree, keep up the good work. To get an endorsement like that from the Podfather himself, that made my day yesterday. Part B said, definitions matter, boost 396 sats. More sats on the way from RWAC podcast, 158 sats. And that will do it. And I am going to have to randomly pick, I don't know, 10 boosts a day, I guess, because I think we just burned up like seven minutes of airtime. But you guys do have a fast forward button. And I just, I don't, I don't want to leave people out that did this. I appreciate Every one of you so much. And know that if you send a boost, and I don't read it on the air, it's because they get, they're kind of jumbled around in, in different places, and I dig up what I can, and I really appreciate every single sat. Even you guys have boosted me like two sats. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for the feedback, the positive feedback. And many thanks to Adam Curry for one hell of a freaking endorsement. And with that, let's drop into uh, the live feed with Billy Bond for today's show. And we are live, and I am excited to have Billy Bond with us today. And uh, before I get to my conversation with Billy, I just want to remind you guys, if you see comments below or if somebody hits you up on Instant Messenger, just because using my name and my logo, it doesn't mean that it's me. If you want to have any kind of back-channel conversation with me, it is best to do that by email. We have so many scammers out there. I have tons of them on Instagram right now, tons of them on YouTube And uh, it's something clearly YouTube, Google, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, doesn't really care about. It would be easy to fix, and they won't. Please don't be scammed. Hey, and with that, Billy, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Glad to be here, Jack. It, glad to be here. Um, well, at least this is happening, you know, more than a decade later than it should have happened uh, years ago, as I was just telling you about. Yeah, you were a talk show host, and, and you had reached out to me. I didn't, I didn't remember that at all. I think we've had another overlap that neither of us remembered. I think we drank some beers together in Panama and uh, just based on time and place. But, uh, yeah, if you want to tell people that, you, you go ahead. I wish you would have reached out since then, uh, but because uh, when I met you, it's like, dude, it's like a brother I never met before. But you, you were a talk show host, and you had reached out to me, and I agreed to do an interview, and it got it got shit-canned? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, – I was a uh... – I was a, I was a guy working at KMBZ in Kansas City. I don't know if I could say that, but I just did. Okay. And, uh, I had just heard you in 2008. My buddy Gabe told me, he said, dude, you got to hear this guy. And so I'm listening to you and I'm like, okay, man, there's a whole lot of liberty in there. He's talking a whole lot of permaculture in there. Um, and I was like, okay, I got to book him for this show. So I sent you an email saying, Hey, let's, let's set this thing up. And you were brief and you were like, okay, basically that was it. So the, uh, program director hit me up about who I was going to have on later that week. I told him Jack Spearco from the survival podcast. He sends me an email a couple of days later. I mean, big, bold letters like, uh, you ain't going to have this conspiracy theory on there. 
this conspiracy theorist on there. And I'm like, what? Did you even listen to this dude? I mean, so he shut it down. So here we were, um, as we've talked about before, our lives have overlapped in so many curious and interesting ways. And then all of a sudden, the opportunity I had got basically shut down for a whole variety of reasons. I gave up the whole, you were saying, man, I, I wish we had a crossed paths before then. But the problem was I was so jaded by the time, if people knew the full extent of what happens in talk radio, they would realize why when I stepped away from that and every other social media platform at that point, I was content, more than content. I was overjoyed to just go into obscurity. And I was pretty, I was going to be pretty happy there until my son talked me into doing a YouTube channel. So here we are. <laughs> Well, you've had, you've had a lot of success with your YouTube channel. You really have. And we're going to be talking about producing uh, pork and poultry today mainly with, with little to no cost and ending up with compost, the best compost you can get as a byproduct. But you've also just recently started doing a podcast called the Permaculture Pimpcast. Yes, I, indeed. I that, right? But you are the Permaculture Pimp, and you spelled it out, P-I-M-P Daddy. <laughs> Why did you decide to call yourself the Permaculture Pimp Daddy? <laughs> well, it goes, uh, well, there's a guy we mutually know named Nicholas Bertner, and okay. uh, I was I was with him one time, and I was taking his course. And okay. I've had a couple of PDCs, one through Jeff Lawton and one through him as well, Um well, actually, I got Jeff Lawton's by my wife getting hers, and, of course, I tagged along. But anyway, I was doing Nick's, Nicholas's class in person. He was asking us to do a, um, you know, like a promotion thing for him. And so I'm getting out there. I basic, basically take some of the entertainer off, and I do this little thing like, oh, yeah, you know, it was – it was like a York peppermint patty commercial that I did with it. And I'm like, you know, every day I go in there, I go to this permaculture design course and I, it's like I'm in studio 54 music's bumping. Boom, boom, boom. Girls are yelling, Hey, is that you permaculture pimp daddy? And I yell back, girl, don't make me show you how to build a swale. So it was like, a, it was a weird persona that I created for that. And then so Nicholas and a bunch of other people had seen it. And they thought I should go with it, but I was real, really, really, really cautious about it because, uh, later on when I decided to YouTube, do YouTube, which was quite a ways later, I was thinking, I got to be kind of careful here because I don't want to make a caricature out of myself. I don't want to be, I, yeah. what I do, I'm very serious about, but I also have this, um, I mean, like you, Jack, I think we both have kind of the sense of humor of an eighth grader at times. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to be the permaculture pimp daddy, but then if I was going to use that word, which many people would say that it's a pretty disgusting word, yeah. then I better do something clever with it. I better turn it into an acronym, which I did, which is, oh, okay. which stands for, that's, yeah, so PIMP stands for permaculture is my passion. So ah. I did it for two reasons. Number one, um, all the homestead channels out there on YouTube generally are, um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not coming down on these guys, but, they generally do the same thing. And I thought maybe if I could add a little bit of entertainment into what I already do, and then maybe at the same time hit up a lot of people in the hood that I know, uh -huh. then if they see a guy like me, a brown or black person or whatever, if they see a guy like me doing things that they don't think they can do, and I can speak a language that I think they understand that maybe, just maybe, they'll kind of gravitate in and check out what I'm doing. And it's worked. It really did work. And then I dropped it because of, uh, at least on YouTube. Now I brought it back for the podcast, but I dropped it on YouTube. Um, and it, there was, well, a couple of things that happened. I was in Lowe's walking around there and they, um, I had this shirt and they said, 
Pastor Ray's pimp on it. And uh, I'm walking through Lowe's. There's this lady with her young daughter, and her daughter looks dead at me and looks over at her mom and says, Mommy, what's a pimp? And I was oh, like, no. oh, snap. There's too much nuance here, man. There yeah. is no way she is going to be able to explain that yeah. to this child. So for YouTube, where kids tend to watch me more, I kind of got rid of it there. And then when we started doing the Permaculture Pimp Cast, I brought it back because I thought it was it's funny. It's a lighter kind of show. And we're talking about permaculture and we're talking about even some esoteric stuff. And we're talking about some things that are I try to keep it on the lighter side. So, you know, yeah. we use like old Gap Band music. We keep it all pimped out, bro. So here's uh, Black Tropical Homestead says, it's like, where's my hoe? My husband's always losing his garden tools and tools, <laughs> so we put it on his shirt, right? So I'll tell you a quick story, and then I'll tell you like, my take on, on, on pimp, because pimp does have a bad connotation, but what are you pimping? Like, that's that's right. really the question. But people getting sensitive about language Back when I was in Honduras, and this has been 91, they had the whole, you know, you know, let's stop sexual harassment in the military. I think that's about when tailgate happened. Mm-hmm. And so they came up with these stupid posters, and it had pictures on it, and it was all things that are not okay to call a woman. It was like a, chi- a little baby chicken, so a chick, and then like a doll, so don't call him chick, don't call him doll. So my friend, uh, Mike Timberlake, uh, and a pretty good artist, he draws a picture of a garden hoe. And he glues it to the sign. And I end up behind the freaking sergeant major in the chow line. And he turns back at me and he goes, Spirko, what is that? I said, well, sergeant major, I believe that is a hoe. He said, you wouldn't know anything about how that got there, would you? And I'm like, no, sergeant major, I do not. And I was lying through my ass. But so what, when I heard that, I was like, you know, I can, I could, I could run with that if I was as cool as Billy. But what it made me think of it's like one of the first true, decent kind of reality TV shows that was where, like, you did something for somebody else. And a guy named Exhibit was the host of it. It was on MTV before it sucked. And it was called Pimp My Ride. And he would find these people who had these busted-ass old jalopy cars, and he would find out about them, and he would build the car, not just to be cool, but to be cool for them, like if it fit their business or something like that. And I think, like, all, like even, like, Extreme Makeover, Home Edition, all it all came from, like, the success of that show – and that was about, like, let's make this thing as badass as we can to fit the person that it's for as best we can. Tell me that ain't permaculture design right there. That's, right, that's exactly what I'm talking about. There was so much that was overlaid. I love your take on it, because, and I wish I would have consulted you long before then because I'd have <laughs> an answer for what I'm giving now. But it just sounded funny. It was um you know, let's be honest here. You know, within a lot of these circles in the homesteading world, we tend to be a little more milk toast. And I'm thinking, yeah. okay, how can I add a little edge to this? I know that I understand entertainment. I understand that very well. I used to work in the radio biz, and I know how to put butts in seats. And I know how to do it also with gratuitous vulgarity. <laughs> and and there's a whole lot of – and I I can do that if I want to, but I don't because I think – and that's what I thought within the YouTube channel is that what I'm doing, what we are doing as a family here, it's not just me. Um, I'm Billy, the permaculture pimp daddy. My son's the pastor raised pimp. And, um, of course, my wife, the homestead honey, we're doing it all right here. But I'm thinking, okay, let's see if I can do this without gimmicks. Yeah. I'm not going to use this. I'm going to do it. And I think the information that we're doing is so solid that it should stand on its own. So that's another reason why I wanted to retire it. But, yeah, I thought it was a really good way of, 
You know, Jack, I'll, I'll never forget that. I got a, um, a kid send me an email from Washington, D.C. There's this black kid. And actually, he's not a kid. Um, he grew up in pretty rough circumstances. He sends me an email and he's begging me to give him a call. And I was like, man, there's no way I'm not going to call this kid. I call him up and he, I'm sure you hear it all the time, but it's, it's not something I'm used to where somebody tells you they change, you changed their life and how this kid is on this new journey. And he left crime and all the stuff that I, basically I left when I was a kid and I didn't know how to take it. And I'm listening to, and he says, dude, I was going through, if you didn't call yourself the pimp daddy, I'd have never, I'd have never oh, wow. took a second look at you. And so now here he is, you know, hacking it out of the wilderness, maybe a little bit too quickly right off the bat. But here it is. If I made, and that's exactly how I look at it, just like before I even started a YouTube channel, I would talk to anybody about permaculture, whether it was the guy I'm working with as a tool buddy, whether I'm seeing a person in the store, and I make sure that I wear shirts that aren't off the shelf. You never, what has Abercrombie ever done for me? So I always... Yeah. I always wear something that makes me a walking billboard and usually not for myself, but it does evoke a reaction from people. So that's all we did. We just took the show on the road, left, um, you know, from talking to one person at a time to now I'm talking. Uh, honestly, I'd have never envisioned myself talking to Jack Spearco on the survival podcast. I, I didn't see that in the cards, bro, but here we are. All I had to do is know who you are. And I'm like, oh, he's coming on the show. And, and I'm, I'm really hoping you are going to be able to make it to my fall workshop because I think I'll be there. We, we need to, we need to do that. And, uh, I think I'll give you like a two hour instructor block. Uh, I'm going to pair you with, uh, Nick Ferguson if we can make it work. Um, because you both are coming at this from a standpoint of feeding your animals without the feed store. And well, two I did ways. hear, you know, it's funny you bring up Nick Ferguson. I had the pleasure of meeting him at the uh, self-reliance festival along with yourself and a number of others that I didn't think I'd ever have the chance to meet because I'm generally pretty isolated out here. And then when I heard you and Nick, and maybe you want to get into that, I heard in your expert counsel, Nick was on there in your last show that I was listening to, and you had an idea, and I, I, I don't want to get ahead of what you had planned for this interview, but you had an idea, and I think it has an enormous amount of merit, but I just think it needs some tweaking. Does it have anything to do with compost? It does indeed. We'll get there, because uh, we were going to get there anyway. Let's, 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 let's rewind a little bit though and go back into the history of Billy Bond. You've been doing this permaculture thing a long time. How did you discover permaculture? And I think that's the way that we should describe the, how a person finds permaculture as it's a discovery. You know, you say only one person can discover a thing, but I think we all discover things for ourselves. And I think permaculture is a discovery, not just something you hear about. Uh, yeah, this is going to lead back to you again in another kind of way. Um, okay. I had already, my wife had been long into this long before I was. I went into it kicking and scratching because I thought farming meant that I had to be on a tractor going out there at my quintessential understanding of farming and a very ignorant understanding of farming at that time. Well, she grew up farming and, um, you know, did it her whole life. And when we got married, she was also stationed at Fort Bragg. And uh, when we got married, I mean, she told me right off the bat she wanted to be a, a rancher, a farmer. Right off the bat, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'll tell her whatever I need to, man. Um, I'm marrying this girl, so uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and play that game. <laughs> but um, no, I'm just kidding about that. But to a certain extent, um, she was already into it. And then it wasn't until she told me about a guy named Joel Salatin. Now, I jumped on him because of his politics. Okay. He was a liberty-minded guy. And I was like, okay, I'd come out of this false left-right paradigm 
first a Republican, then, then a Democrat, then an independent. And then, oh, gee, there's this guy named Ron Paul. So I discovered him. And long before that, you know, so I'm getting all these data points at the same time. So I get Joel over here talking about liberty. I'm getting Ron Paul over here talking about liberty. And I'm hearing this word permaculture come up here and there throughout, you know, in different places, like different nodes. But where I really took notice of it was when I was listening to the podcast, your podcast in 08, and you talked about Jeff Lawton's Greening the Desert. I didn't Ah. even finish that podcast and I went and looked it up because of what you said about it. And I, I was captivated. I was stunned. I was astonished. At that moment, when I saw that, I'm like, there is no way on earth. I now know, up until that life, I, I guess you could say I was kind of floundering in this earth. I was a high-functioning person, but I was floundering because I didn't – what was my passion? I didn't know. When I saw that video and I saw what he did in an impossible place to do it, I'm thinking if that guy can do it, I'm going to know how to do it too. And so that's where you actually, so somebody else planted it, somebody watered it, and you saw the increase. You helped give the increase. So once I saw that, I'm like, okay, there was no place for me to get get a PDC around me at the time. And they certainly weren't ubiquitous um, like they are now where you have online availability and stuff like that. So I read everything I could get my hands on, you name it. If they had anything about it and I was putting it to work. And then, um, so was doing permaculture design long before I actually had a certificate. And I don't necessarily think you need a certificate to be able to do this, but that's how I came along to it. But along the way, Jack, an astonishing thing happened to me. My life changed not just 1%, not just a hundred percent better, a thousand percent better when I finally realized that this is what I literally go to sleep every night thinking about farming and permaculture preparedness. I wake up and it's the first thing I do after I pray. I pray before I get out of the bed. Hey, Lord, let this day go well. And then right after that, I'm, I'm thinking about what can I do? In fact, I drive the family crazy because my wife needs a little bit of time to get up and go. I'm jumping out of bed like, hey, let's get after this, man. I can't wait to do it. Um, and then you can have too much of a good thing where I'm driving everybody else crazy because I don't take days off, or at least I didn't. I feel so passionate about this stuff that it's all I ever want to do. So, yes, when I say permaculture is my passion, it really truly is. But that's how it all began. And um, to this day, I still can't get enough. Can't stop learning. You know, there is so much overlap because – it was the same thing for me. I, somebody sent me that video of Greening the Desert. And that's the original one. Hold on a second. Dog, knock it off. The dog's drinking out of the fish tank again. Charlie. So anyway, uh, somebody sent me that video. That's just staying in, too. Uh, somebody sent me that video. And I was like, I thought permaculture was you plant trees instead of corn. I had no idea it was a design science. I had no idea about laser. I actually knew a lot about permaculture without knowing it was permaculture. And because it's really systems thinking and coming from a background of being a mechanic and then being somebody that ran companies and an entrepreneur, if you're going to do either one of those, well, you're going to use systems thinking. So I'm like, oh, this is systems thinking, but I think it's a bunch of hippies. So I found the video, the famous video of all the hippies rolling in the mud. And I'm like, I, 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 I don't think I can do this. And I found Bill Mollison's in grave danger of failing food. And I watched that and I was like, oh my God. This is a solution to so many things, if not a piece of a solution to everything. 
And then I think there was another one he did where he said something like, I can't, I, I was out in the woods and I was just going to stay out there. And then I thought I can either do that or I can come back and fight the bastards before they roll over everything. And I went, this old codger, this warrior, this is my ethos. I, and I'm like, he's the founder? Then I don't care what anybody else says. If this is the man that started it, then he's the one that gets to define it. That's right. And uh, I dug into it from there. And it, it changed my life. It changed my thinking. Even when I'm doing things that people wouldn't call permaculture, like how I run my business, my revenue model in my business is based on ethics and it's based on zoning. Right. I mean, it's like and if I were going to design a community, I would design it with permaculture design. And I think that's the thing. A lot of people get into permaculture and maybe they become a really good gardener, even like a backyard designer. But I think it takes there's there's something that snaps in the brain in a good way. And then you look at everything through that lens. And that doesn't mean you become a purist or an absolutist, but you just see that pattern. I think once you have that pattern recognition, it also makes you like immune to bullshit on the TV set. Like some guy starts talking and as soon as you hear the formula of the language, you're like, well, I know what he's going to say next. Because right. there's literally a formula to how the media drops. So it's amazing how it permeates everything. And I think that's why it becomes a passion for some people, because once you recognize the pattern and the opportunity to correct errors with it, because if it's a science, like, Science gets used the really stupid way, right? Science is an authority. Science is not an authority. Science is an error-detecting process. So we take the design science of permaculture, we detect the errors in a process, and we correct them. That's what permaculture design, if you want to bolt it down to, like, the most nuts and bolts definition you can get, that's what it is. So then you start seeing, well, I could fix this. I could fix that. And then how could you think about anything else? Because God knows that the world will put a problem in front of you every five minutes. Jack, you said it all right there, because for me, it's I mean, this is where the overlap where when we met, I mean, it's kind of a weird thing. Let me just kind of back up a little bit when we first met and along with the, a number of other people there, when you get a bunch of alphas in one room, there's only two things that's going to happen. We're either going to hate each other or we're going to get along or somebody's going to get shot. So, <laughs> you know, the latter didn't happen, but it's always, so whenever I find myself in the room with a bunch of, I'm like, okay, how's this? So I was a little bit standoffish and maybe you were that way too. And then the more we were talking, I'm like, dude, there's okay. Bang. There's a data point. I can relate to that. But one thing really struck home is when I talked to you and we did a little blurb um, and I'd love to get you on the permaculture pimp cast one of these days. But when yeah. you said, when I talked to you on my YouTube channel, you said something that was very profound and it was yet another data node where we overlap. And that's in terms of how you use permaculture for your business. Well, we do the same exact thing every once you learn the seven layers of a forest, you'll never be able to look at a grove of trees the same way ever again. No. You're always going to do that. Well, it's the same thing when it comes to our finances. I get a lot of questions from a lot of people asking, well, how do you make a living? How do you do this? How do you do that? And then I go back to a permaculture model, just like you suggested, where we have multiple streams of income, but we have a low consumption, high quality, but low consumption lifestyle, meaning that we have everything we need. We are happy. Um, you know, don't have all the niceties that a lot of other people think are the American dream, but we have what is the American dream for us. But we have multiple streams of income, but 
each one income in and of itself can sustain everything should all of the rest of it fall apart. That's permaculture. That's why we don't, when we plant an orchard, that's why we don't just put 10 Arkansas black apples next together. That's exactly why when we put in an orchard, we put a nitrogen fixer, apple, pear, nitrogen fixer, another cultivar, apple, another cultivar, pear, over and over and over again. So if you ever have a failure, it's not, it's not a colossal failure like they had just an hour south from me here in Hendersonville, south of me in Hendersonville, North Carolina, where one of my favorite apples on this planet is called an Evercrisp. They had one frost to hit it at one time, wiped out all the apples. Well, guess what? If they had five other cultivars planted out there, they wouldn't have lost everything. You'd have just lost the Evercrisp. So it's the same exact model that we govern our lives with, and we do everything. It's just smart, and that's why... Like you said something, if I could, I, I know I'm kind of running along, but I want to, I want to hit on something you said because I think it was very profound when you talked about these hippies rolling around in the mud. And yeah. now the loudest voices in permaculture, you know, minus yourself, most of which are not those hippies anymore that were productive. They've now yeah. become a very, very woke crowd. And then when guys, and gals that come from a place like you, you came from a place where from a mechanic initially, but you came from a, I got to solve problems kind of orientation. And so did I as a journeyman electrician. And I'm telling you what we would turn permaculture upside down, inside out, fried, died, laid to the side of more of those kinds of people that do those, this kind of work would get into it, but they are not because they come across this sanctimonious um, you know, Nouveau, Amandine, thin crust, bottled water, deep fried, whatever, city food, yeah. eating, whatever person. And they think that they embody all of permaculture. So that is part of what I'm trying to do. And in, in many ways, kind of replicate what you've done where you're showing, Hey, you can be, you can be permaculture and butch all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I like the hippie thing. I even call myself a redneck hippie duck farmer, right? So I, I'm not anti hippie. I'm anti. So I look at there's two kinds of hippies. There's rainbow hippies and drainbow hippies. And the <laughs> rainbow hippies are rising in number, right? Like, so the rainbow hippies just like peace and love. And I'm all about peace and love. I'm a peaceful warrior, man. You know, um, I have, I have the ability to do violence and my hope is that I never need to use it ever again for the rest of my life. That's, that's my goal in life. That's one of my prayers to the universe. Don't let me ever need to be that person ever again, but I will if I have to. Um, and, and that's, I think that's the true hippie ethos, right? Like that's, that's all the guys that came back from the Vietnam War that got crapped on that were like, they went any war, but they were not peaceniks. They were just like, we don't need to be doing this anymore. And, and what's happened with the woke crowd is we get the Drainbows in, which are the people they want to take, take, take. They're all worried about changing the third ethic to, to dis distribute surplus, which is a perfect way to destroy landscape, by the way, just right. from a mechanical standpoint. If I take all my surplus and export it, then I destroy the land. That's what we're doing to our topsoil. So you've got that wrong. The guy that wrote it says you have it wrong. The guy that helped the guy wrote it says you have it wrong. But you, 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 you take that aside, and even the ones that are kind of in that hole, they're complaining about there's not enough black and brown people, there's not enough gay people teaching in permaculture. Back in 14, I was speaking at what was at the time the largest conference for permaculture in the world, uh, Permaculture Voices. There's a lady sitting there. It was the first one we did, and she's talking to me. She's explaining how she's, she's gay and she lives out. She doesn't really care 
you know, and she just wants to do her thing and her and her partner building this beautiful farm and all. But yes, somebody should speak for people like her on stage. And I'm like, well, I know the conference organizer. He's going to do another one of these next year. I can talk to him for five minutes and get you a speaker slot. Well, I don't know what I would say. And she had just Mm. gone off on this like 15 minutes. It was glorious. And I'm like, say that. But she wouldn't speak. And so a lot of times people say that people are not offered a platform, but I think a lot of times people want to, they want to talk from the sidelines because it's easy to condemn people, but it's hard to stand up and be an example. And I mean, I think permaculture is welcoming to everybody. I always try to say like permaculture and politics really don't, don't go in that direction together. Don't bring your politics to permaculture, but please take permaculture to your politics. And I think it just works a lot better that way. Well, there's that, there's that kind of hippie. I'm right there with you as far as the definition of a hippie, but these wokesters, yeah. you know, trying to tell me what I ought to do with my, with, with yeah. my money and also what I ought to do with my harvest, you know, just like, yeah. um, you know, there's only four ways to spend money spending, you know, according to Milton Friedman, you know, it's spending other people's money on other people where neither cost nor quality matter. Spending other people's money on yourself, well, cost doesn't matter, but quality sure does. And then they're spending your money on other people. Cost matters, but quality less so. And then they're spending my money on my interest where both cost and quality are of profound importance, and it's the most efficient way to do it. So going right back to that third ethic, yeah, I'm all about, look at this. Look, I got a shirt. It says permaculture. That first, that last part says return of surplus. I can't get yeah. any closer. Yeah. yeah. So that's exactly what I'm all about. And then for some of these people, like you were saying, um, I think a lot of these people, they're running their mouths and they're, I, I don't want to get divisive, divisive here, but the point of it is, is that the blue collar person who has worked with these, their hands, their whole lives, they hear some of these people, these sanctimonious types, who have never been socked in their mouth their whole lives. So they sit here and run their mouths and they'll say, you know, like I had a run in with some Antifa thugs a little while yeah. back. That's a, that's a whole story unto itself. And um, I about put this clown through a five minute flurry of fists because, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, man, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm non-aggressive. I'm, I adhere to the non-aggression principle, which is essentially don't start no SH and there won't be no IT. So yeah. when you get down to it, I'm a peace loving guy. And I'm not looking for any trouble, but if it comes to my front door, I'll try to walk away. But if you try to walk in that door, then it's on. But a lot of these people, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking tough or I'm not trying to be a wise guy, but there's a lot of these people on that side of things that will get up here and run their mouths. And frankly, they're the quick to call somebody a racist. Well, the biggest racist I've ever met in my life are these Black Lives Matters and the Antifa people, the same people who were out there in the middle of downtown Asheville, the same people who were all cool with me. And then all of a sudden started calling me Uncle Tom, which, you know, thank you very much because you never read the book. You, you don't realize you paid me a really big compliment. You know, it's those people that are turning off. They seem to have the loudest voice, and that's exactly why I'm doing what I do to show, hey, you can also be a person of color, stand up and do all this stuff, do magnificent things, encourage others to do it, and I can do it all in accordance with a non-aggression principle and all in accordance to this way of living, like you say, Jack, it's a way to live if times get tough or even if they don't. Absolutely. So when you go permaculture, changes everything about your life. And then maybe some of the people in your life are like, well, wait a minute. 
So how did you get your family on board? Because it wasn't that hard for me because I was already a gardener and a prepper and everything like that. It just kind of changed the way that I did it. But you also can't – you get Messiah Complex. You can't shut up about it. Like it takes some work maybe to get people on board with you. So how did you handle that? That was actually quite easy for us um, because I was the one that needed to get on board. Uh, my wife – my wife was already doing this and she was all about it. And frankly, I was just too busy trying to get that brass ring, you know, thinking like everybody else, I was sitting here believing the American dream they tell you. And then in 2008 have a stiff under understanding that the American dream is actually a nightmare the way they talk about it. So I was the last one getting on board. And then my son, he wasn't a hard study. I mean, this might make a little more, I'll, I'll say it this way. My son had a full academic scholarship to college and he got in there and he came around all, you know, he's my son. So obviously he understands the Liberty mindset. And so he's getting in there realizing this is one massive waste of time. So with a little bit of work at it, we said, okay, instead of sending him off to college to go get indoctrinated, what is your passion? What do you want to do? So guess what? He ended up going on the first thing, smoking in Australia to work under Jeff Lawton. Then he works under Jeff uh, or, um, you know, Joel Salatin for a while, then out to the Earthship Academy and then all these other places where we send him as a family, as our emissary to go get this knowledge, come back and train us. Or we send my wife to go work out with Greg Judy. Wait, that didn't quite come out right. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? So she yeah. goes to train with Greg Judy, comes back, you know, trains the rest of us, you know, learn one, do one, teach one, you know? Yeah. And so that's exactly what we do, where each one of us, we can't all leave at the same time, but we send each other out as emissaries. But we basically used our son to find out what his passion was. And instead of going in and getting a degree in worthlessness, now he is a very respected permaculture designer. And frankly, you know, it's like Da Vinci said, it's a poor pupil that does not surpass his master. Well, in so many different ways, my son has surpassed me. And as a dad, I can't think of anything that makes me happier in knowing that my heir apparent is more capable in a lot of different ways than I am. Now, he lacks my level of wisdom and certain other things that he will grow into. But, yeah, as a family, we basically built this from the bottom up. We had a vision together of where we wanted to go. And the first things first was to get out of the matrix. So we got my wife out first. Then we got our son out second. And then we got me out last. You know, I picked up the rear like the first sergeant. Yeah. And, I, yeah, I'll, let's dig a little bit into the educational thing. Like, people think I'm anti-college. If you're going to go be a mechanical engineer, Great. If that's your passion and that's what you want to do, you know, there's a path through the university. If you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, that's pretty much the only path. But I have found it to be a complete waste of money and time for many people. And that time, you know, if you look at, let's say, 40 grand a year, you could go travel a bunch of different parts of the world and get a hell of a lot better education from that. You could go out and support yourself while you interned in 20 different things. I met a girl right up by you near uh, Asheville, North Carolina, and she had gone to college, but she had dropped out and decided it wasn't for her. She was driving Uber and Lyft. She had both of them, so you get more chance to pick people up, and she was hustling her way across the country. She said she picked 20 cities that she wanted to know about that she thought would be cool places to live, and she was staying like a month in each one using like Airbnb and Hip Camp to stay there, 
stacking cash, like half was going into her stash and half was paying off the legacy student loan debt. She's like, when I'm done, I'll have a network all across the country. I'll have knowledge of all these places, and I'll pick the place that I most want to live, and I'm going to go there and start my life. And I thought, man, wouldn't that have been great if you had just done that uh, straight out of high school? And she goes, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know. And I, I'm like, you know, that, but we all figure things out in time. And I'm like, there's so much to that. Like, what kind of well-rounded human being is that girl, woman, I should say. Like, you say kid when you're talking 20-year-olds when you're our age, right? But what kind of well-rounded woman will that lady be by the age of 25? That's exactly what Mark Twain talked about. He wrote about it extensively. Is that, and I, I'm, forgive me, I don't have it in front of me, but essentially what Mark Twain, I mean, which I thought was absolute genius. I love everything the man wrote, but he said, you cannot get a charitable view of the world around you, around you until you travel. You cannot get a proper education. You cannot have a charitable view of all things and appreciate what you have until you see something else. You cannot vegetate in your own spot all one's life and expect to grow at all. Now, that was true then, and it's true now. And, you know, kudos to that girl. But I, I think... Because everybody out there from the school teachers to everybody in the system is telling you, okay, first of all, here's what the American dream is. And you got to go to college. And yeah. so you spend all this money to get a degree in worthlessness. You know, Jack, I'll put it this way. I have a military. I'm feeling that, by the way, degree in worthlessness. I've always called it bitterness studies, but I like worthlessness better. That's exactly what it is. I mean, you're, it, it's worth absolutely nothing in most cases. Think about this. I got a military education, a trade education, a college education, and a farm education. And the only one that hasn't put a dime in my pocket is that highfalutin college education, two different degrees that haven't put a single coin in my pocket. Anything worthwhile, I had to do it from the bottom up or I did it in one of those other modalities of education. So kudos to that girl to – or lady, like you said, you know, when you get our age, yeah, everybody seems, um, you know, they're a kid, they're a kid until they have 40, right? <laughs> so in that case, that's exactly what we wanted to do with our son. But also it created in him an understanding, having worked on Jeff Lawton for as long as he did, of not only permaculture, but also in that area, it was a melting pot of people that came from all over the world. So here he is training with people from China, people, other people from Australia, people from Germany, you name it. They were there at Jeff Lawton's farm. And so he's cross pollinating with all these people there and then making connections, which someday, hopefully, you know, it results in me going to Italy for about a month and hanging out and, you know, doing all those wonderful things. But he got a greater, a much more charitable view of the world than he would have still living in decab Texas, which is where we were before we decided to come to this paradise here in the high country of uh, Western North Carolina. Yeah. Um, and let me just pull this up because the quote you were talking about, I immediately thought of it, but I wasn't sure uh, exactly what it was, but Pankrat brought it up. This was the part I was thinking of when you started talking about travel is fatal to Prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness, and many many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. Now that, I actually used that as a quote of the day on my podcast before because I thought it was such a powerful thing. And when you know that someone from the past was really great as a writer, it is when you read their writing that's 100 plus years old and go, that applies today, if not the same as back then, maybe more so. 
And I think a lot of these people that we were talking about that are so bitter, um, they think the rest of the world's a better place, right? Everybody's better in America, but they ain't been there. That's right. Right. They they didn't live in a tent for six months in a place like Honduras and and then maybe have a little bit of gratefulness for, for the real blessing it is to be born in this country. We have our problems. I have stomped our government. I am an anti-statist. Some people call that an anarchist. I call myself a statist apostate, right? But <laughs> I understand the blessings of being in this land and the freedom that, that a republic, the type of form of republic we have represents, where my life during the COVID was nothing like somebody's life in California. And that person in California didn't have to ask permission if they decided to leave. They could have geographically changed their circumstances. If you're in Spain... It's the same policy everywhere, right? You can be in Catalan or Castile or whatever. It's still, you know, like the federal governments have a lot more powerful power in these other nations. Um, and I think they would travel a little bit and not, you know, travel to all the tourist locations and stay in a hostel. Go see what it's like to try to start a business in some of these places or something like that. And maybe they'd, uh, maybe they'd have a different view. Um, but so we don't, because we'll, we'll stay philosophical here all the way. Let's get some nuts and bolts going. Yeah, I could I could go on this all day long, bro. One of the things you did in Tennessee is you ran a butchering workshop, and you're a damn good butcher. I tell I didn't get to see your workshop because when I got there you were almost done. Um, but I could just by talking to you, I know that you know what you're doing when it comes to butchering. What made you decide you needed to add that as a skill set to your life? Sure, uh, that was one of the things I got early on. Um, and it came down to this, you know, when you drop your deer off at a processor, I got news for you. Having been there and having worked at one of the finest butcher shops in, uh, I don't know that I should give the name of it, but I'll put it this way. It's one of the finest butcher shops in the United States. That's where I was trained. And I will tell you, when you drop your deer off, you're getting back somebody else's meat. And let me tell you another thing. If they're telling you, if they're, if you're dropping off your pig, you're getting back somebody else's bacon. If you got, if you pick that pig up less than two weeks later. Because it takes a while to make honest-to-goodness bacon that wasn't cured with nitrates and nitrites. So with that said, I got sick and tired of getting back somebody else's stuff. And I'm like, okay, the only way, the only way I am going to be able to be any kind of competent at this is go out and go find a way to be a butcher. Well, here's the problem. is At that time in Kansas City, every every hipster out there wanted to be like every hipster these days wants to be a stoic yeah they think being a stoic is being you know the coolest thing around well back then the coolest thing that a hipster wanted to do is become a butcher and then put it all over social media and all this and that so they were never going to let an old guy like me get in there so i basically went up there and said look jack i'll work for free and the guy's name was jack um i said i'll work for free and they didn't call me back (laughs) And then I come to find out a little bit later, they thought I was crazy. They're like, man, who wants to work for free? And plus <laughs> it's old, you know, I mean, at least I'm not 18, 19, what all these hipsters were at the time. Finally, I said, look, I will do this. They gave me a shot. They put me with this guy who was a Michelin star chef and nobody could work for this dude. Well, I come to find out and I was warned about him. Well, what I come to find out is this guy actually expects you to work. So not only uh-huh. did I do what was expected of me, I did it better and I exceed it. And at the end of the day, even though I'm not being paid, I'm the first one to pick up that mop. I'm the first one to go. I didn't ask or wait for somebody to tell me to do anything. First in, last out. Army ethic all the way, right? So I got noticed by him at the first time I was there. So I would, 
I was working for the government at the time. So I was on a 410 schedule. And so it got to the point where he's calling me up and saying, he's acting like he's doing me a favor. Hey, Billy, you want to learn how to make sausage today? I'm like, okay. yeah. So I'd tell him, Hey, hey, y'all, I ain't, I'm, I'm not coming into work today. <laughs> I'm going to work at the butcher shop. Or of course I didn't tell him that. Yeah. And then is, in fact, they got to the point where they're like, well, dude, how come you're only working like 32 hours a week every week? And I'm like, cause I can't get by on 24. So I'm spending most of my time at this butcher shop learning every and anything they could. So charcuterie, you name it. But, it, and then finally the happiest day of my life there was when he's sitting there cussing and carrying on, can't get none of these guys to work. He says, how is it the best worker we have in this shop is an old timer that doesn't even get paid. And of course he's talking about me. So the moral to the story is if there is a task, if there is something you want to learn, work for free because there was a time in the United States of amnesia. Thank you, Gore Vidal. There was a time where you did an apprenticeship with no expectation of anything other than getting fed. Where is that gone? So I learned that and then finally became good enough to where they were paying me in meat. They wouldn't, they couldn't pay me in money because it wasn't in a budget, but they paid me in meat. And I'm like, okay, this is better than money. Oh yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So then every, so a lot of these little hipsters in there were only learning how to do one very small aspect of butchery. But because of my enthusiasm and because I told them, look, I don't care anytime, day or night, you need help with anything, you call me and I'll be on the first thing smoking down here. And so they did it. And so I learned this craft. I didn't, I did it. I thought out of necessity, what I didn't expect is that I would absolutely love it because there is nothing, nothing more empowering than not only growing your food, but knowing that I don't have to take it to a processor who in most cases, in a lot of these processors, they're going to actually not on purpose, but they're going to torture that animal because that animal smells death two miles on the way to the facility. So if I can process it at home, that animal only has one bad day, like Mark Shepard says, one bad day. And then since I have the moral consistency, since I eat meat, I'm going to have the moral consistency in dispatching that animal. That way I know it's done perfectly. And that's what I tried to teach at the self-reliance festival. And I think we did. And I think, you know, I do this a lot. I do these butchery classes a lot, but it's one thing to know when people get back with me afterwards and say, look, Hey man, here's a picture of the animal I did. It's not perfect, but I did it. That's how you start. So if you look, we have a saying in the butcher's trade. If it weighs, it pays. Jack, if you turn this whole animal into ground, it's worth more anyway. It's value added. So don't yep. worry about that you screwed it up. Just screw it up even more until you get it right. Like Joel Salatin says, if it's worth doing, then it's worth doing poorly at first. Yeah. And I think it's something you just you just get better at. You learn the feel of a knife on a bone. That's right. You learn to make sure the meat is cold and hard and then it's going to cut better. I mean, like all of those things, like you just learn in time. I, the first time I ever butchered an animal, I was 13 years old. It was the first deer I ever killed and my uncle walked me through it. And then after that, I ended up like I was a dumb kid, man. I was like, I get to butcher. So like every deer we killed, I, like, I get to butcher it. Of course, my dad, my uncle, and I was like, let the kid do it. And, and I, but I actually find it kind of zen. Yeah. Like, you know, and then how good can I do this cut? Can I, can I do this animal honor by making this backstrap beautiful? Right. You know, I mean, like it, and it, it is kind of a Zen thing. I think people kind of think it's weird when you talk about like, I enjoy and they, they think you're Dexter from the freaking suicide or the, <laughs> the murder you know, series or something. Like, you know, I like the way meat when it cuts, but it, I don't mean it that way. I mean it that 
I'm preparing food that either I or someone else is going to eat, and I take pride in it. And I, I think it's something like I've done shows on like I'll do a show that's like ten skills we should be teaching our children, and and butchering, meat cutting, things like that always end up on those lists because this is a life skill, right? Like I don't know how often you use advanced trigonometry, but uh, okay, you do. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and if I do need something like that, I look up the formula and I use it. But I use food preparation skills on a daily basis, you know. Um, and I, I guarantee I could come up with something that they drove into your head in school that you just, you know, you don't use it because you don't have a need for it, right? And I think that there's so many things we don't teach children that we should because they would actually use them in their lives if we did. And, and you know, butchering and meat cutting and, and food preparation as a whole, I think, are all on that list. Jack, I'm right there with you. I want to also add that the end thing right now is hiring a lot of these highfalutin butchers. They come out there and they show you how to make mortadella, prosciutto, capicola, all these different highfalutin charcuterie things. You're not going to learn that from me, not right off the bat. And one of these days, Lord willing, I will have a butcher school where I can do a proper apprenticeship where, okay, until you get to this point, you're basically an apprentice. When you get to this point, we'll call you uh Weeblo. Hold on. I better define that, bro. Um, yeah, you're a Boy Scout. That's a Cub Scout. No, that's a Cub, the Queen of Cub Scout and a Boy Scout. That's right. So Hey, these days you never know, man. I got to make yeah. sure I define that, bro. <laughs> So, you know, I want to I want to break it down. But see, here's what I'm seeing right now in the butcher's trade is it's become kind of chic to do all these highfalutin cuts. Well, that's like showing somebody how to slam a basketball before you learn how to dribble. Learn how to, first of all, gut, well, dispatch, gut, skin, break that animal down the sagittal plane, remove the head, cut it into primals, cut it into subprimals if it applies, and then get it in the cuts. Know how to make your bacon. Know how to make your sausage. So all these people that are teaching other folks, these high-end, I think they're irresponsible. I think when you learn homesteading butchery from me, you will use a method that works on any four-legged animal. You can take, I don't care if I show you how to do it on a pig, it will apply on a sheep. It will apply on a cow. It's just going to be broken down a little bit differently. So I try to teach people and a method to where they can do it no matter the animal. It works on a deer. In fact, I've done videos on my YouTube channel doing just about every one of those except for a cow. So it can be done instead of worrying about, oh, we need this, we need that. No, worry about making your bacon, your sausage, get your cuts out of it, know what to do with your grind, do the basic kinds of thing. And so when you ask me, hey, can you show me how to make prosciutto or any other? No, the answer is a colossal no. I will not teach you that stuff until you master the basics. So I would even say, to me, it's like prosciutto, curing meats, however it is. It's a different skill. There's butchering, and then there's curing meats, and Correct. there's cooking. Like, those are all different things. I don't even have a problem with the person learning it. Just don't deceive yourself into believing that you're learning the skill of butchering because you're learning how to put a cure on a piece of meat and, 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 and let it cure. Those are different things. If somebody wants to buy primals and only break down primals, that's up to them. But right. it's not butchering. It's it's not a full skill set as a butcher. If you want to call yourself a butcher, I should be able to start out with a living, breathing animal. And uh, it always amazes me, like my wife, if I – usually when I hunt, I'm so far away. I have a deer broken down before I come back. But 
we will, I'm not going to apologize for it. We, even though it's illegal, the rabbit sheriff's never bothered me. We will pick up a good clean roadkill deer. And she'll always remark when I, when I'm, when I bring it out of the shop into the kitchen, well, that just looks like what you get from the store. Well, what did you think it was going to look like? Do you think it was still going to have horns on it or what? You know, <laughs> or the same one we do when I'll do, I'll do chickens and I bring the chicken parts in to do the final clean before we package them and put them in the freezer. Like she's like, it looks just like, well, of course it does. And I think that like that is a skill set that I would say probably the average person in America a hundred years ago had maybe not to the form of an art level, but to the basic, Hey boy, go out, shoot one of the sheep and butcher it. Yes, Paul, he could go do it. That's right. That's right. That's what we lost in all this. And and like you, as far as roadkill, I do the same exact thing, man, there, for different reasons. Um, you know, it's pretty cool that when we can go ahead with, you know, going back to permaculture, not one part of this animal gets wasted. I know that because every bit of it, when I have the chicken tractor on steroids, well, that's where all the guts go. I even take the uh, pelt and the hide and everything. I put it out there as well. Had a neighbor, now I live in the mountains of North Carolina, and there's some of these old boys over here, they don't care what your laws are. They've been up here for eight generations. <laughs> it doesn't matter what time of year, you'll see them out there, you know, gutting and skinning a deer, daring you to say something to them. <laughs> and they're doing it in the dead. They don't care, like, oh, I don't care what season it is. I and I suggest you not. Right. No. <laughs> no, no. You may wind up sharing a spot with that deer. Well, I go up to this old boy and I see him out there. This happened last year and I go up to him and he's got a really, really, really thick mountain accent. And I'm like, I'm, there was a, there was a dog. There was a bear dog that got loose and he got cut up. One of the black bear got a hold of him and it, we had him at our property and I'm trying to find who might own this bug. Had a collar and everything on him, but he's cut open pretty good. So I get over there. I said, Hey, um, yeah, I got this bear dog. He already knew who it was. He gets in there, gets his CB out, calls whoever it was, tells him where to go, how to get to this dog. And I'm looking over here. He's got this deer hanging. I said, hey, uh, you mind if I have the guts off that deer? And he just looks at me like a thousand yard stare, looks dead at me. Um, I said, hey, you know, as a matter of fact, if I help you out, you mind if I get them legs too? I mean, I said, I just want the shanks on down, bro. Not stuff that yeah. you're probably not going to use. He's like, look here, boy. I'll give you this whole back end, man. You ain't got to lie. I know you need this. I'm like, what? I'm like, no, really. I'm going to feed this to my chickens, man. And I make bone sauce out of these bones. He said, man, you ain't got to be making no bone broth or nothing out of that. I said, no, it's bone sauce. It's a deer repellent that I make. No, you ain't got to lie to me, man. Just go ahead and take this quarterback with you. I'm like, no, (laughs) really? I swear I'm just going to feed this to my – he would not believe me. Oh, man. Yeah, so it's, you know – the, the good thing about all that is that I do pick up roadkill as well, but I make a product out of it. Yeah. So we use it for very different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get to it in the Q&A if we have time, but Jake was asking me how I vet one for, for eating, and he's talking about this heat right now. I wouldn't pick one up for, for food right now unless I watched it get hit. Um, for a roadkill thing, whenever your rut is, that's when you're going to find a lot of deers getting hit because they're running – that's right. They're in that rut and, and you're usually into the cooler part of the season. Anyway, you mentioned chicken tractor on steroids and how that feeds in there. And any part of a deer I don't use, that's, that's, it goes into composting. Uh, if a dog can't eat it, then the chickens can eat it. And people that think chickens are vegetarians ain't never seen you throw a, what's left of a chicken carcass to a chicken. Cause that, <laughs> that'll end your belief in that nonsense right there. But you guys, and like, it's kind of your thing. 
is the chicken tractor on steroids and pairing it with feeding livestock, not really just chickens, but you do some stuff feeding pigs cheap too. It, did this happen because your son went to Australia or like, I remember when Jeff came out with that video, it was in pre-launch like his first PDC and I'm like, Oh hell, this is genius. And, uh, what got you like to just latch onto that? Cause that, if there's a keystone to your methodology, it's kind of, that's what it is. You know, I, I tell you what, Jack, I couldn't believe, I think, I think, I think we're brothers from a different mother, man. We're obviously maybe brothers from a same mother. You never know in my family, but you never know. the point, the, the point being, I'm not around. <laughs> no, I do, man. Papa was a rolling stone, but, um, no, when it came to that, I saw that, I saw that video and I had already been at permaculture for a while and it wasn't, my son hadn't yet been to Australia yet. Okay. I saw that video and I'm thinking, okay, surely everybody on the planet's going to be doing this. Yeah. I mean, there's no way people aren't going to be doing this. And so I didn't have the same inputs as Jeff where Jeff was using, um, you know, cow poop. He had, he has of course clean cow poop. I couldn't get yep. any of that. Not where I was living in Texas at the time. And, um, I had to adapt it. And I had to reinvent some things, but I guess I should back up a little bit to give full credit where it's due. Um, Jeff got it. He got the idea from Carl Hammer at Vermont composting. Then Jeff adapted it and made mm-hmm. the chicken tractor on steroids. And so I've taken it, like we said earlier, it's a poor pupil that does not surpass his master. So I don't say in any way that I surpassed Jeff. I just did it a different way. So what I had to find out how to do was how do I make this chicken tractor on steroids work without the benefit of having cow or horse poop that's clean? And so what we did is basically take Jeff's method, made a chicken tractor that could be moved by just one person. That was first. That was very important. Whereas Jeff needed at least several people to be able to do the one that he did. Um, he was recycling an old car trailer, so it did require more people. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing we did. We made it, we had to redesign the chicken tractor and basically went with the chick shawl. Number two, what we found out is that if we can take the litter that's inside the chicken house, stick it in the bottom of the compost cage, and instead of putting all your components in it once, if you do it like a regular compost pile, take your carbon, put it down, let the chickens feed them there for one day, let them poop all over it, and then do it the next day. Take some more carbon, put it back down. Put the food on it, let the chickens, if you can stack it that way, you get exactly the same effect as if you use the cow manure. So essentially, you're letting the chickens and yourself build a compost cage with, building a compost pile within the confines of that cage. Yep. And so that was what we figured out. And so I tried it every way, every way you can imagine. I mean, I've done this thing with Australorps. I've done it with, uh, barred rocks. You name it. I've done the chicken in this thing, except I mean, meat birds, uh, red broilers. I've done everything within that system except Cornish crosses. And I don't believe that it can be done in that system. So essentially, to, in a nutshell, because it's kind of hard. This is more of a visual thing, but I'll do the best I can. Essentially, the chicken tractor on steroids, you are raising all of your meat birds within the system, all of your layers within the system. And by the way, your layers produce about 10% more within this system using this method. And you're producing, in Jeff's model, you're producing one cubic yard of compost a week. Well, with the, with the adaptations we've made, we are producing between one and a half to two cubic uh, yards of finished compost per week. And that's nonstop. But it is rather labor intensive. 
So if you're one of those people that feels, hey, I don't want to put in any work on this, well, this is definitely not the idea for you. But if you are, we have raised all of our meat birds in this system. We've raised all of our layers in this system, and we produce the finest compost you have ever seen within this system. So we've made some very big improvements on it, but all credit goes right back to the genius Jeff Lawton. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that adaptation is something we all have to do for ourselves in our own system, right? Like, I, I call myself a redneck hippie duck farmer, but I, I'm not really a farmer. I'm a homesteader. I'm not trying to make a a financial profit with what I do. Occasionally, I'll you know I'll, I'll do a run of turkeys, and with the reach I have with the show, and I have enough people locally, I'll have people come pick the turkeys up live, take them down to process or self process, and pay me on the final. Like you're doing a cow, pay me on the final weight of the carcass on an honor system and I'll pay for everything for the year, but I'm not really trying to make a living. And so depending on what you're doing, you have to adapt. So one of the criticisms I've heard of bigger names like Jeff Lawton, like Sepp Holzer, like Joel Salat and like uh, Masanubo Fukuoka is that, well, they're not in reality because they have all these people that flock to them that end up working for free and they get all this free human labor and everything. So their system probably won't work for you. That's not their problem, right? Like when you go to a master to learn a thing, you have to go there with the spirit of Bruce Lee. You take the pieces that work for you from all these methodologies, and it's up to you to be the designer not just of your property but of your system, and that's what you did. You designed that to function for your system. And like you said, if you want to do a, don't want to do a lot of work, then you probably don't want to do this this way, but – you can either buy feed or you can get feed for free and get compost and chicken out the other side and eggs too. It's up to you how you want to do this. And I think that is one of the challenges. And I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've had that experience myself where people bitch that your method won't work for them exactly the way you do it. Well, I never told you to do it the way I did it. I said, this is what I do. Here's how it works. And I've evolved my stuff over time. I, this is where we can kind of transition into this idea. I do. Johnson Sioux-like uh, compost. Because the Johnson Sioux, like, I believe if you use somebody else's words, then you owe it to do the, what they say or to be clear that that's not what I mean. So they make these giant things out of rebar, and they're six foot high, and they're climbing up on ladders, dumping stuff in. And I looked at because Nick Ferguson told me about that, and I was like, oh, I'll check it out. I looked at it and went, yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not welding rebar together. So I take a six-foot circle of three-foot-high goat fence, and I take all this, basically I do it once a year. I've been thinking about adapting your method to a degree and doing it more often. I take all the waste out of my chicken house once a year. I do deep litter, so it'll be this deep by the time it's done. And I have a place that I feed my animals, my ducks and my chickens and all. And I feed them all the scraps, everything we can get for them. We go out to eat, there's anything left over, they get that too. Uh, I grow uh, a water plant called water hyacinth through the whole growth period on all my ponds. They get big, giant armfuls of it every night. And, it built, and it's just a pit made out of center lock, and that builds up over the season. It's partially broke. Some of it's fresh. When I go to make the compost, some of it's fresh, some of it's well, some of it's a year old, and it's all mixed in there. And when I fill those circles, I'll do four inches of uh, stuff out of the chicken house, and then I'll do a couple sifts of the stuff out of the pit, and I will soak that. I'll take one of those little round, cheap plastic sprinklers. I'll sit that there, and I'll turn that on until that is sopping wet, and I'll do another layer and another layer, and another layer, and another layer. And I'll put one of those little sprinklers on top of it, so once a day I can turn it on for a minute, and I don't touch it. 
until I'm ready to use it. And it'll go up to about 155 in the center. You need that three-footer to be mostly full, to have enough volume. You're right about a cubic meter there. And I've thought about mailing you my compost in a bag because <laughs> it's like nothing you've ever seen before. It's almost like clay when it's done. I never turn it. And here's my thought. You take the idea of feeding the birds. You take that that round piece of wire, cut it in half so it's 18 inches high instead of three foot. Birds can easily get in and out. Pile your scraps up a foot. Let them work it till they're done. They'll kick a little bit out, but mostly it'll stay in there. Maybe you do it with um, hardware cloth so there's less for them to kick out because the goat fence has pretty big holes. When they're bored with it, put two new ones in place. Actually, just move those. Take a full one, combine it, add some carbon when you do it, and then you, you do tarp it so it doesn't dry out. Put a sprinkler on it, walk away from it. Do absolutely nothing else with it until it's ready to be used. And I think it would work. I haven't done it yet, so I'm not gonna, I don't say shit works till I try it, you know? I think, I think it's a great seed, Jack. This is exactly what I had hoped for when I, I thought everybody in a great grandmother, when I finally figured out how to crack this nut on the chicken tractor on steroids, Every kind of way, not using Jeff's methods, and then to a time did use his methods, still had a hard time replicating it. And then I find out, okay, it taught me how to be really good at composting. And my son coming back from Jeff's taught me how to be even much better at composting. The thing is, within this system, the chickens have to have access to the compost as it's working over. And the reason why is that they're eating, they're getting their protein and I think it's the best protein on the planet from the biota within that pile or yep. the micro microscopic life. That's what they're eating. That's where they're getting the lion's share of their protein out of this thing. And then you can tell by the behavior of the chickens whether or not it's ready to move on because they'll leave it alone less. So what I had hoped is that you, me, and everybody out there within the sounds of our voices – would be able to contribute another way of doing this. Because when I heard you describe this to Nick, my brain, I was like, wow, that is a great idea. That could absolutely work. Somebody has got to put this together. And it might just be me with your permission. I want to give a few more. You don't need my permission. Like, See, you have something I don't. You have the resource and the time and the supply line. We're going to talk about that next. Where You go get a ton of this material for these birds. I, this is what I do full time, but I don't like farm. And then I have a pod, I have a podcast and then I farm. So my time budget is to where I don't know if I can get enough of a stream of that, which actually can work better for me. And I'm, I'm with you on the breakdown and the biome and all. And th- I'm picking this up all the way back to the original source. I don't remember his name. You mentioned it from New England. Um, but oh, he yeah. said he knows when to give them more because when they lose interest. Right. And I've noticed that with, with scrap piles, like if you give them a scrap pile, and I think in this method, because I do free range, I don't do a tractor, that I would need to let them lose interest twice. Because what I've observed is they'll work something, and if I stop adding to it, they'll stop working it, and two or three days later, they'll go back and start working it again. And when they lose interest the second time, they're like, all right, boss, we did that. Give us some more. And so I think this would work, but I think it would work better if you, I'd like you to do it because you have a waste stream that we're going to talk about soon that I don't have, you know, and we can even talk about people not getting a joke oh, <laughs> up there in Tennessee about oh, that. But yeah. you know, 
You want to just transition, like, tell me what you want to do about the compost, but how do you get these waste streams that you're using to feed your animals as well? Well, let me back up one more second regarding okay. what you just said there. Um, <laughs> I'm already. Well, I'm already I don't mean you to can't think about nothing else now. <laughs> no, I, I really, what I had hoped is that when I was doing this, I was thinking the whole world's going to want to know how to do this. Well, strangely, nobody did until times started getting hard. Now, all of a sudden, everybody is starting to show interest. And thank God for that. But when I heard your way of doing that, I was like, huh, there's some, there's some nuts that need to be cracked, but I have, I need more information from you. Like in your, in your version of this Johnson Sioux bioreactor, how long does it take? Whereas in that system, it takes about a year. How long is it before your post is ready using your version of it? So one thing I'm not doing and I should be because I'm, I'm not that concerned with getting maximum yield is I should be wrapping the outside with weed blockers. And I don't. So my outs, if you looked at the pile, you'd say it's not ready. But when you, as soon as you pull away the outer coating, it's, it's ready to go. I would say it takes about two to two and a half months. And the, the final piece of this, and I didn't explain it here because this is for people to hear you, not me today. But since you're asking, I'll put a, a compost thermometer in it. And I haven't talked about the pipes and I'll provide some collateral for you to look at. But there's pipes that go in this thing too for a while and you pull them out to leave airflow. And when that temperature, it'll, it'll run up to somewhere between 150 and 160. That'll take only a few days to happen. It kicks off because it's very wet and you got a lot of nitrogen with that, that lockup there. It'll stay hot for about three weeks. And I'm actually going to be running tubing through it and heating my ponds with it in the winter. So I'm going to build them in stages this year. So I'm going to give about three weeks each to provide heat. And that'll, and I make about three big ones every year. So that'll get me through my coldest period without my pond freezing up. Um, and then it will take, it'll get down to like 90, right? Where it's starting to cool. And when it hits it below 90 degrees, the Johnson Sioux people throw earthworms in it. Mm -hmm. Well, I live in North Central Texas and you know that anything that has a worm in it has fire ants in it. So what I do then is those holes. I'll put a couple handfuls of like, uh, Kingstraforia mushroom spawn in them and I fill the holes up with dirt, not dirt, uh, wood chips. And I wet it down then and that takes it the rest of the way. And one thing about this compost that, that's magical is that it's incredibly fungal dominated. Like while it's hot in the center, you will see flushes of mushrooms, all different. I don't advise eating them, <laughs> but flushes of mushrooms everywhere. And somebody said, like when I said it was clay like, they don't really want clay for compost. It's not clay. It's clay-like when it's wet. It, it You can make a ball out of it. Honestly, if you gave it to a little kid and you didn't let his parents know what he had and you make sure it was pretty damp and he ran up to him, they'd think the kid picked up a, a dog turd or something. It's it's It coats the hands like that. And it the the beauty of it, you take one of those balls about the size of like a golf ball, and you have a sick-looking plant, you dig a little hole, drop it in there and cover it, and you water that plant, and you watch that plant just come back. And it's because there's so much bioactivity in it. But that's that's what I'm doing. But it's it's two months till it's done. Wow. Well that's that's quite an improvement on the Johnson. I would love to I'd love to test it, but if it's fungal dominant, you definitely have my attention because that's where everybody seems to be missing the boat. And that's what we want by and large, um, is a fungal dominant compost is going to work better in so many different ways. In fact, I told my son, when you can snatch this fungal dominant compost from my hand, you may leave the farm. 
So <laughs> the, you know what the, I haven't yeah. done yet? I need to inoculate it. I don't know. I'm stupid. Like you just made me think. Like I could increase increase that at that. I guess I'm inoculating with Strophoria spawn, and I, I, I haven't produced any. But like you get one King Strophoria out of the whole thing. Um, it's just too dry here to do well. You probably get a bunch of them. Oh but like yeah. The, the mycorrhizal uh, inoculants that have like ten different mycorrhizals. Uh, I should probably start inoculating it with that in that final cycle because when you're when you're cooking, you're you're gonna kill it off. What I found though is the fungi survive because it's hot in the center and it's not at the periphery. And there's like that point where it's kind of drier on the outside and moist on the inside, and you got that spot where it's not really warm but it's still moist. And those fungi survive in there. And as soon as that cooking process stops, it just goes. I mean, I don't think you even need to do anything. I was just like. They've used worms. If I put worms in there, the ants are going to go in there and kill the worms. So what can I do? So I, you know, Strophoria spawns cheap. So you buy yeah. one bag and make 20 buckets of it with the smoker. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to talk about it more, but I would love to be able to get this. Uh, I, I, I think it has some serious merit. I really do. And I'd love to be able to get a little more when I see you again. Maybe we can kind of work this out. I got another. Yeah. Chicken tractor on steroids uh, iteration going right now, or at least about to kick it off. Well, if you and, get uh, down here, we're going to have like 70 people standing around wanting to learn something. We could build a couple piles. Yeah, yeah, I would really definitely bad. love to look into it. That would be great. But you were asking also about uh, where do I source this stuff as far yeah. as, Jack, that's one of the biggest frustrations I have. And in, in, it's one of the biggest blessings and also the frustration in terms of everybody telling me I can't do this because I'm – I'm not the right color or I can't do this because I can't do, you know, all I, when I hear a bunch of excuses, when I know a quadriplegic that is a self owned, you know, runs his own business, there ain't no excuse you're going to offer me that I'm even going to listen to. So when it comes to this stuff, people are saying, well, I can't source, you know, I don't live where I don't live, you know, 30 minutes north of Asheville, North Carolina. I don't have this. Well, I lived in Decab, Texas, home of Hoss Cartwright, Dan Block. <laughs> what do you think is around there? There ain't nothing there. So that's where we learned how to do all this stuff. If I can do it in a very humble place in East Texas, you're not going to tell me that in most places there are not options. And that's what we're going to talk about. Right. So you want me to you want me to basically lay it down where we're getting some of this stuff and how I do it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. So um, I'm not going to give you all the honey holes, but let me just say this. Um, <laughs> if you have a Mexican restaurant around you, there's a chance that you can feed all the pigs and chickens you need with just what they want to throw into the dumpster. Any Mexican restaurant. And I'm, if you have, if you're in a more progressive kind of place, and let's say they have a halal restaurant, definitely don't tell them you're going to take and feed pigs with it, but they would probably <laughs> give it to you. Or if you have a Jewish restaurant, you know, you can get a lot of beans and rice and stuff like that in a lot of different places like this. Now, another place where you can get all you need, believe it or not, or at, well, I'll give you one prime example and Jack will probably lead into, uh, not controversy, but something that happened a little while ago. I thought it was funny personally. Okay. So you can go to colleges and universities. One local college near me is giving me. 600 pounds a day and paying you to take it. Oh, wow. 600 pounds of food scraps and a thousand bucks a month to go take it for something I would do for free. 
So don't tell me these aren't around you. So you don't have a college and a university around you? Well, I guess, I guess you got middle schools. I guess you got high schools. Oh, they won't give it to you? Well, here's what you do. Go in there, tell them, and never, ever, ever say, I'm going to go feed animals with this stuff. The truth is you are ultimately going to make compost with it. Correct. So you go in there, you go to the school and say, look, I love all this stuff. I want to make compost out of it. They tell you no. Well, you're a taxpayer, right? Unfortunately. So you go to the school board and you raise hell when you go in there and say, look, and I guarantee you, you go do this. Go to any elementary school. Go open that dumpster. Go look in there. No matter any day of the week, you're going to see at least in the bottom of that dumpster, you are going to see a foot of milk they just threw away that you could be feeding to your pigs and chickens. Um, there's a whole gang of other things that they could easily separate. So if they tell you no, you go to the school board and you go up there, you speak at the microphone, look, hey, y'all, I want to do my civic responsibility and improve this world. Um, you're basically taking all this stuff and you're throwing it in dumpsters. Well, there's somebody like me, and I want to make this a very nice place. I think we ought to make this into a wonderful place, a utopia, if you will. So if you would give me all this milk that you guys are filling landfills with and creating global warming, if you want to use that, or climate change, you could even play that one if you want to, and see what happens. You stand up in front of the school board and say, you mean to tell me you're throwing all this money, all these taxpayers in this room, you're throwing their money away, and then – Nine times out of ten, you're not going to have any more grief. You know, they'll work with you at that point, at least to some extent. The lunch ladies are not going to like you for a while. <laughs> and then if they still tell you no, no matter who you are, say, is it because I'm black? <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if you are white as a paper plate on a snowstorm. Anybody, Rachel Dolezal can be black. Well, anybody can. If, you know, everybody's out there saying, well, I want to be this pronoun. Well, guess what? Pronouns are so 2021. I want to be an adverb, Jack. I want to be an <laughs> adverb. From now on, you know what? Make me a verb. Make me whatever. So if everybody can be what they want to be, if a guy can claim that he's a trans testicle polar bear, then I can, you can claim to be a black guy. Go in there and say, look, is it because I'm black? And you can, <laughs> you probably get away with it. Oh, good God. I told you the truth of it is at this university, this is no joke. I'm, I'm going to lay myself bare and I don't care. I don't have to care if anybody doesn't like it. I'm just going to tell it like it is. There are so many of these lunatic lefties that are running these institutions that when they see a person like me, they automatically, and you want to talk about racism, these people on the left are the biggest racists I've ever, I've ever seen in my life. They're thinking that just because they see what they see is this brown, unfortunate, disadvantaged. Yeah. That one gets thrown around a lot. Disadvantaged person that basically they're going to work with me just because of that reason. That's how yeah. crazy the world has gone. If you would have told me 30 years ago, this black thing would pan out. I'd have never believed it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Or this brown thing, you know, who knew that this would work out in my benefit? So, I mean, honestly, they're falling over themselves to work with me. So I said before, I said it in jest, but in a way I wasn't. Look, go get yourself a Mexican or a black dude and say, look, here is what I'm trying to do, bro. I will even hook you up with a little bit of money. Just go in there and talk to these lunatics for me. Tell them that you want to make compost out of this stuff. I know that people thought I was joking, but I am as serious as a train wreck. These people are falling over themselves and saying, 
are you sure a thousand bucks a month isn't enough? I'm like, hold, hold up. You <laughs> you're going to pay me to do what I would be paying you to do. Yeah. And, oh yeah. You know, and even though she's not saying it, the lady means, well, she's, you know, indoctrinated and everything else. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I'll take your money. So yes, pay, is that enough? You're going to pay me a G to go in here and feed my animals for free. Joel Salatin thought I was lying until I explained this to him, but yeah, sorry, Jack, I didn't mean a monologue so long, but no, these- no, it was great. Cause now I can tell my story without sounding like an <laughs> asshole. Right. So, so Billy, Billy basically says a shorter version of the same thing. He's like, it's somebody that looks like me to go with you, wear a nice shirt. Don't tell him you're feeding it the animals. Tell him you're making compost and you're not really lying. But he's like, get yourself a black guy to go with you, right? Now, so I, before I do this, I watch the audience because I'm going on right after him. Nobody leaves and hardly anybody comes in. So the people that hear this just heard him say that. And five minutes into my presentation, I'm, I, I don't remember what I was talking about, but I said, but I would like to get more uh, feed in for free. So maybe Billy can come down and be my black guy. And literally everybody looks around and does the whole, oh, I, huh, I don't know like, like they're afraid to laugh at yes. it. Billy comes to me in the morning and goes, I watched the, the replay because you had to go do something else while I was on. And he's like, I laughed my ass off. And I couldn't believe that nobody laughed at that. And I think this is a problem we have. This is not a permaculture problem. This is a societal problem. We can't freaking just have fun with each other anymore. You and I are old soldiers. You come down here and hang out for half a week at my house. We're going to take the, sh- the piss out of each other. And somebody standing there that doesn't know that background would think these two guys hate each other. Right. No. And this is like, this is why everybody's so soft today. I grew up like hanging out with like, I was 12 years old going hunting with 40 year old men that were war veterans. They did it all the time. So like when my friends did it to me, I'm like, Oh, we're just, we're being like that. We're being like Uncle Pete. We're being like Uncle Mark. And I think we're losing that today, and I'm I'm trying to bring it back. I know you are, and I think it's part of why YouTube personalities, podcasters that are turning into such a phenom in the world today is because there's young men and women out there going, oh, this is the role modeling I've never had. I've literally had people write me emails and say, I was in tears by the time I got done with this, realizing what it means, but you became my my male role model. And I, and I was like, one, I'm honored, but two, what a failure of society. The Billy Bond or Jack Spirico, same with strong female role models, the Cole Sauce or whatever, has to be your role model. I'm, I think it's a blessing we can do it today with the tech we have, but what a failure of society that's even necessary. Because it's not, if it was rare, it'd be different. But when it's so many times, you used to, like humbling to me, someone will say like, you and Jordan Peterson taught me what it was to be a man. And I'm like, damn, first of all, put my name next to Jordan Peterson, holy crap. But two, I am sorry that my generation failed your generation because that's how I feel. Like we let this happen. Gen X, we were the last key kids. We raised ourselves and then we overcompensated. Not all of us, not you and me, but as a generation, we overcompensated. We became helicopter parents. Yeah, we did. And that, and, but even among that crowd, Jack, what I thought was, it was a pretty good case study because I saw it the next, I saw that footage and I fell out laughing. But then I also noticed even among this Liberty crowd, They've been so beaten down and indoctrinated to a certain extent that they didn't even feel okay to laugh. Now they, yeah. they did when I said it, but yeah. all of a sudden you said something that was far more benign than anything I ever said. Yeah. Um, catch me on the wrong day. I'm going to say a lot worse. So, 
and they would still probably laugh. But now think about this. The greatest comics of our time, George Carlin, Don Rickles, even Richard Pryor. Not yes. one of those guys. Well, Richard Pryor would get a pass because I get a pass too, Jack. So <laughs> outside of that, these guys would never, ever, never, ever have seen the light of day. More milk toast comics like Jerry Seinfeld are even complaining about what it's happened with, um, you know, everybody afraid to laugh at something. That is what comedy was supposed to do. These taboo topics you could touch if you wrapped it in something that was funny. And so we've lost that. And where we have where I don't know about you and I don't know if you even want to hit on this, but I go around there and I'm looking at the young men around me as I go through Asheville. Okay. William often jokes, my son, he says, mom, I'm convinced you could beat up about 90% of the women in Asheville and 98% of the men. So that's what, we've, that's what we've come down to. Now, my wife is as hard as woodpecker lips. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, we go, if you go there, half of these guys and guess we failed them. But when I'm seeing kids that should be full of testosterone, look like you could put a tutu and ballerina slippers on them, put them on a stage, have them sing good ship lollipop, and nobody would even raise an eyebrow. What's so wrong with a guy having a little bit of bass in his voice? And that's exactly part of what I love about your podcast. And what I'm trying to do in mine is basically bring back a lot of that, maybe some of that comedy, maybe some of that stuff that, like you said, Jack, if you and I are in the same room for any period of time, like we were, any third party who isn't, who doesn't understand where we came from and are, they're going to think, oh, either these guys don't like each other or they're fighting. <laughs> that's what we've come to. No, we rib no. each other. We break each other's chops. We break each That's a, that's terms of endearment among yes. guys with testosterone. What's wrong with that? I, I, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it at all. It's about having a sense of humor about yourself. That, that's, that's what I think we've lost. Like, no one can hear a negative thing about themselves, especially if it's in jest. Like, I am a flawed being. I, I, I screw things up at times. I make mistakes and, and I can be a goof at times. So if someone, if someone hits on that, like, I'm laughing with you. I will warn you as a new podcaster, you gotta be careful with the humor. I'm one day I made a comment. If something, somebody wrote something about vegan burgers into me. And I'm like, you know, eating a vegan burger is kind of like having sex with a rubber woman. And I threw something else on top of it. I had two people say they had to pull their car over so they didn't rack. And I had one guy say he was on the roof of his house cutting stuff with a circular saw, and he almost cut his thumb off. Right? So you got you to be careful with your humor as a podcaster because people, when they're watching the video, it's one thing. But when they got the headphones and they're multitasking, and I just warn you guys out there listening to us, too, like it can happen just because – you know, it's not a comedian podcast. We might make you laugh. And on podcasting, I think that's part of the magic. Like the magic thing of podcasting, make people laugh a few times during an episode. Teach them something and entertain them. If you do that trifecta, then you build success with podcasting. And then you end up, the, the net result of those three things is you change lives. Now, you don't really do it because people tell me, you know, you changed my life. no. You change your life. You are the catalyst for them to change their own life. And that's why I think podcasting has become so important. It's why I'm really happy to see you kind of making the leap into it, especially like doing it with your son, dude. That's going to be really powerful, really, really powerful. We we kind of work well with one another in the podcasting world. And also going back to 
Man, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, but Jimmy crack corn and I don't care. Jimmy could have smoked crack and I still don't care because I'm, I'm not leaving. I'll be right back. Go on. Yeah, but the the thing I'm trying to get into here is that within this realm of podcasting, at least when it as it as it stands in the farming and the podcasting and the farming permaculture podcasting world, is I don't know that there are a whole lot of men out there that have any testosterone. Now I'm not breaking balls on all these you know these little powder puff guys out there. I'm not I'm not saying that, and I'm not acting like a tough guy. I'm just saying where are all the John Waynes out there? When I hear you, Jack. When I hear you speak, I know that you're a man. I know that you're a man. And when I met you in person, I know that you're a man because I made a joke about how your beard tickles. <laughs> so <laughs> I, know, I know for a fact that, but what is so wrong? I got this. I was told I have toxic masculinity. Well, if you think that's toxic, I'm about to drop a tactical nuke on what you think <laughs> and what you think is okay. And I'm okay with it because the right people I think will find just like I found your podcast, just like we found each other, um, just like we find within you meet these people like John Willis and Nicole Sauce that I wish that I'd met and yourself that I wish that I'd have met two decades ago, but I didn't. And those are the kinds of people when I meet y'all, I'm like, OK, wow, there's I feel less alone in this world. We could sit here. You and I, after we kind of felt each other out and realized, OK, yeah, we're cool. We're sitting here joking, telling old stories about what it was back in the army. And then just like that, we're like, dude, we're like, we're up in, uh, uh, John's little jungle palace of love museum up there in the top of his shop. We're sitting in there chewing the fat, talking, and it's like we'd never, like we met each other before. And that's exactly what I want to try to appeal to when it comes to the podcasting world, where I'm able to demonstrate visually with YouTube for as long as they allow me to have it and then cover in much greater detail of things on the podcast and be able to do it the way a man would, where I'm not apologetic. I'm not going to apologize for my delivery. I'm not going to apologize for my son having testosterone. I'm not going to apologize for my the timbre of my voice. And I think if more guys see other people out there like you and me and a number of others, and they realize, whoa, just like they did with the permaculture pimp daddy thing, where I'm encouraging this this black kid in the middle of D.C. to come out here and engage in a lifestyle he didn't think was possible. Well, maybe there's some kid out there being raised by a single mom whose husband ran off with a go-go dancer. And this boy's only understanding of the world around him is what he found right here in this YouTube channel. But then he sees me or he hears me or sees somebody like you. And maybe I just stretch a little bit of his understanding into a direction that he never knew was possible and thought, Oh, gee, I was about to chop off my cock and balls the other day. Now maybe I want to be a little bit like this guy. So maybe, sorry for the crass vulgarity that I'm using right now, but sometimes maybe that's not what's vulgar. Maybe the nonsense that we're pouring into these kids is the bigger vulgarity here. That's what I think. And so if I can do my little part. And maybe some little kid out there or some big kid or maybe some kid who's just a second away from getting his junk chopped off because he was told that, oh, you're so brave by somebody in the school system. Maybe I'm giving them another option and I'll take it as long as I can. Sorry about the monologue, Jack. But no, we get- man, no, no. Somebody, I don't remember who it was. Somebody that follows me on Twitter yesterday said something like the biggest problem we have is stupidity and pretending that stupid people aren't stupid. And I, I don't, I don't, I think there's a lot to that. And stupidity takes more than one form. 
some of the stuff we're talking about here is stupidity, and it doesn't necessarily mean intellectually slow. It's stupidity in, in like in the world of Bonhoeffer's theory of stupidity, that how dangerous society becomes when they are made stupid. It doesn't mean they can't add, subtract, multiply, and divide. It means that they can't think clearly about a thing that they, I don't know, they can be led to war on a catchphrase would be an example of stupidity, like freedom isn't free. It may be true, but it, it doesn't mean that we should be bombing another country. Yeah, it, maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't, but maybe we should have a discussion before we commit blood and treasure and do violence in the name of freedom with more than a three word catchphrase, you know, and like once you get people into that level of stupidity, then it's, it's, you know, like Marcus Aurelius said, you can, you can direct the crowd with a few words until it's, it's agitations have a marvelous resemblance to the sea. And that's the society you live in when a society has been made stupid. And that's, That's where we're at. And that's, I feel like that's the main thing I'm fighting as a podcaster is I just want, I don't, if you like, you listen to my stuff. And when I talk about permaculture, cause I'm not all permaculture, you're like, I don't want a garden or whatever. Okay. Fine. Maybe you can learn something from the design science. Maybe you can't pick and choose what you want. But my main goal is critical thinking, There critical thinking and then lifestyle design that leads to non-brittleness, right? Because if you think critically, you're going to go, wait a minute. Oh, my life screwed up. So you're going to be some form of a prepper, even if you don't use the word. And this is what's been robbed from our society is the idea that I control my destiny in my way and I'm going to do my things. And if somebody screwed up, it's probably me. And even if some bad shit happened, it's still me because I'm the one that shows how I reacted to it. And you go tell somebody this today and they start lecturing you about your privilege. And I'm like, bitch, I am the son of a bootleg coal miner. You do not go much lower. I, People are like, what is a bootleg? A bootleg coal miner is a guy that goes up on a mountain he doesn't own, digs a hole in the rock, buys dynamite from somebody that will sell it to him. It's probably missing a thumb. Risk going to federal prison over it because you have possession of explosives. Digs coal out of the ground, brings it out of the hole with the wheelbarrow, puts it in the back of a freaking Ford F-350, and drives it down to the breaker and has to unload it with a shovel because he ain't got a dump truck. Don't give me jack diddly crap about any kind of privilege. I don't care if you put a color with it and I'll tell you what, I don't care what color you are when you go in. You go in a coal hole, you know what color you are when you come out? You're yep. a whole different kind of dark color. That's like, right. You like you roll on tires for a day. So like, and I, my feeling is like, if a person like me can build a success, then anybody can. And instead of putting people down like you and I that say you can do it, We need to start putting down the people that say you can't do it because they are robbing and stealing the future of our next generation. And I, I'm done with these people. Like I don't even have time to worry about them anymore. I don't care what they say. They're irrelevant in my world. They are, my duck shit is more valuable than their opinion. Right there with you, brother. We, what does it say of our society where we celebrate the idiots and castigate the intellectuals? I mean, it, it's really, it's really, it, it says so much that Like you said, for critical thinking, it tells me everything about a person. When I can say something to them that the ordinary person might find ridiculous. But the mark of a true thinker, in my view, is a person that can hear any argument without necessarily agreeing or disagreeing with it. Yep. You can at least entertain the argument without saying, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist or you're a nut. Now, there are things that make you a nut or a conspiracy theorist. Um, those things aside... We now live in a culture where it is cool to be ignorant. There was once a time, there was once a time, 
and it's one of my favorite books from way back. It's called The Walking Drum by Louis L'Amour. And he talks about, it's a historical fiction. And he talks about this time in the world, and it was when Europe was in the Dark Ages. It's very well, it's a very good book, historically. And he talks about how the most important person was the traveling storyteller. Because they could take and weave ideas and dreams and places and things for those who have not themselves seen. They were able to create imaginations for people who were never going to leave that meager existence they had known their own lives. Well, it created a sense of adventure within the people around them. But somewhere, whether it's through the school systems, and I suspect that it has been, that all of this stuff, this sense of adventure has been beaten out of all of us. And frankly, I was perilously close to getting to that myself where, you know, I didn't, I didn't give you the whole story, but basically I'm the son of convicted felons. Okay. And I know a little bit about your background too. It wasn't all that great. My mom and dad decided to take six kids on a bank robbing spree across the country, raising Arizona style. And, you know, so they got thrown up in the clink up. We were all six boys raised by a grandmother who at that time was in her seventies. So not having is no reason for not giving. I know there are some people out there with awful circumstances and there's a paraplegic, like I said, a quadriplegic that are running their own businesses. So if you give me this garbage about, well, I came from this place or it's the color of my skin. You know what? Bull. I'm not buying it one bit. If you can come from my background, and for a while there, when I was young, I engaged in crime, and I was pretty good at it, too. I was a pretty exceptional <laughs> criminal. But that being said, <laughs> I realized that I know where that leads. Yeah. Okay? I would yeah. have probably been a respectable kingpin these days had I engaged in this sort of thing for longer. But the point being is that no matter where you are, you have it. Think about this, Jack. We live in a country. For the first time, with all of its troubles, for the first time in human history, a man could own land. A guy like you or me could own land and defend it with a firearm. That was undreamed of in the history of humanity. That's what made America special. And somewhere along the way, these blessings of liberty have just, you know, we've been, we've treated it like trust fund babies. That's exactly what we've become. We become freedom trust fund babies where we've, we squandered it. But you know what? The crucible of really hard times has a way of bringing us right back to center. Just like, you know, the darkest days of my life, I vowed that I will never go back there again. I will never ever visit that because I know what it's like to be in that idiotic place of despair. So I know where I never want to go again, but it required a journey. It did. It required a journey, but going, coming full circle with this. I don't want to hear anybody that says I can't learn this. When you and I are both autodidacts and a lot of the people we know are autodidacts, which is a fancy way of saying self-taught. Okay. If I can acquire this information and you can acquire this information, you got a coal mining background. Mine isn't far from it. And we can still get a piece of what we think the American dream is. I don't want to hear from anybody in this chat or anybody reaching out. You want the fastest way to get that door slammed in your face from me? Tell me about how you can't do something. Yeah. 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 And I think we got to be careful with language too. Like when you were just talking there, it made me think of a a book series I read a long time ago. And I don't remember all the names of the books, but um, it was the Odessi series by Piers Anthony. And the first book in the series is called Isle of Women. 
And it's a fictional book, but it's based on a lot of historical fact. And the concept is you got kind of like an Adam and Eve at the beginning, like earliest humans and how they lived and they give them a name. And then they're, they're reincarnated at different times in history. The same characters get used over and over again. The same family units occur. And at some point, you know, you're kind of like pre-Egyptian society and there's wars going on. And if you, if you killed the enemy and the enemy had children, then you were responsible for your, the children. So the children would be absorbed into the culture and then the children would be together. And of course, the children that were absorbed in would have to learn the language of the new society, but they would bring their own words and ideas with them and the language of the society would change over time because children are who evolves the language. Children are the ones that communicate outside of their family more than adults. That they, they have these play groups and things like that so that our language is constantly evolving to where if we went back to like 1700 and, and what we would call the colonies back then, and you and I were talking to people, we could get through it, but we, we're both speaking English, but... It's a different English at the time, and the, the language continuously evolves this way. Well, we're letting our younger generation right now create 1984 with Newspeak because we're not being disciplined. If you want to change a word or something or come up with a new word or a new way of describing something, that's fine. But is it based on freaking reality or your damn feelings? And, and it's a very dangerous world we're entering in, like soapbox moment again. Homeschool your damn kids, folks. Get them out. Like Malcolm X said, only a fool, fool. will let his enemy educate his children. And That's I don't right. know what else some people need to hear to figure out that that is the enemy right now. Even the teacher you know that's a good-hearted person, they're they're like they're like you know the, the, the cops or soldiers. They're following orders. And they don't have a choice in that system. Jack, so you want that, that system condemned? Say something nice about the school system to the teacher instead of something bad. And they'll go off on your ass. You say something bad, they defend it, right? Oh, yeah. 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 You know, it was funny. When I first got out of the Army, and well, actually, it was years later, if I am if I get this right. I remember the teachers that I looked up to when I was first in the social media. At the time, I was on Facebook. And I'm looking at the responses of these teachers I once looked up to. And I'm like, good night. These people are as dumb as a bag of hammers. i never seen. But at the time, I'm sitting here thinking... I never seen, I thought this guy was as smart as could be. And I'm looking at what they are writing on there. And I'm like, I can't believe I looked up to this person. And then it was another and then another and then another. But the difference was, at least back then, I didn't know the full extent of their lunacy <laughs> as a kid. You know, they yeah. had the benefit with the benefit of uh, growing up myself. And I'm able, and by that time, I was very much liberty minded. And I'm hearing all of these teachers on there go on about how, Oh, you know, this leftist nonsense and this and that. And I'm like, well, at least to their credit, they kind of kept it under wraps. I'll give them that. But now, oh no, man, they're being indoctrinated. It was like, it was like that genius John Taylor Gatto had talked about. If you haven't seen it before, it's called the ultimate history lesson with John Taylor Gatto. And, um, what he demonstrates in there is that the whole notion of adolescence didn't even, it wasn't you were a child until you were a man. You were a girl until you were a woman. But then they created this thing called adolescence. And when they did, they then developed it a little bit further. And they created what's called lifelong adolescence. Yes. And and I'm sure you can 
from the top of my head, I can fill volumes with the guys I know that know the price of everything and the value of nothing. You know, yeah. they'll sit here. They got a kid, a real good friend of mine had a boy who was losing his ever loving mind thanks to the school system. And I'm like, Hey, you need to go get this boy looked at. Why don't, here's a book from Dr. Dobson. Maybe you want to read this. Nah, you know, he'll just straighten out, but he will read everything he can find on the next F two fifty he's about to find. So yeah, know the price of everything and the value of nothing. You're putting more effort into your next truck than this kid you have that just about killed himself listening to these idiots that came from this mainstream um indoctrination center we call public schools. So and it goes right. I saw Bobby Spaggs here in the uh, things. You know, he had talked about the men of this world have acquiesced. You're not going out there spending time with these kids. You're expecting the you're expecting these powder puffs in the public school system to do all this stuff. Well, you can't do that. You cannot. You cannot Google how to be a good parent. Okay, it takes practice. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make colossal mistakes, and then you own up to it when you need to. But when you get down to brass tacks with all this, Jack. It really, there's so many different ways in which these children should go and they're picking the lowest common denominator because that is what they see the majority of. It's not father knows best. Every dad they see on TV, I have not watched TV in forever in a day, but I guarantee you, no matter the show, last time I was in a hotel, I turned it on there looking through it. Every single dad in every single sitcom was a freaking nincompoop. An idiot, an absolute freaking idiot. Yeah. And so we're wondering why these kids have no purpose. As you'll, you'll remember this, they have no purpose, direction or motivation. They yep. have no purpose, direction and motivation. That's what you and I learned in the military. Yep. We accomplish a mission by providing purpose, direction and motivation. Well, these kids are out here getting degrees in worthlessness, wandering aimlessly, got a PhD in stupidity. And you're going to spend the rest of your life having deep thoughts about how you're going to make this next margarita. There's nothing wrong with that if that's your desire in life. But at the end of the day, you never, ever get exposure of maybe there's something more than this. Did I have to spend thousands of dollars for a career that I could have got for what, you know, Goodwill Hunting said, you know, for late fees at the public library? Yeah. This is where we're going with this. So. Where does it stop? And I suspect that the only cure for this, like that one guy, uh, Victor Hugo wrote, adversity makes men, prosperity makes monsters. Well, I've often said that you cannot correct this. It's full in the Bible alone that when you hit this level of depravity and decadence, the only known cure, the only known cure, the only known cure in all of humanity has been the crucible of really hard times. Yeah. Sadly, and I've More heard turning, you about it, we're right there. So get ready for some, get ready for some healing. And I ain't talking about the Marvin Gaye sexual healing stuff. (laughs) And this, it ain't going to come out the way you want to. I guarantee that. You know, there's times where I wish I had the whole mixing board and everything because I would have totally pumped some Marvin Gaye right after you said that without even look like acting like I didn't even hear it. But I just, I'm not that sophisticated (laughs) on audio. Yeah, you're right. I know, um, we are almost two hours. So let's, let's head toward. Finishing this up though for people and we've done a good job of beating stuff up, but let's give people some solutions here. Like, can you talk about how you are able to raise pork for about 21 cents a pound? And are you actually making some money with what you guys do? And I think you've had some creative value add solutions. It's not just about selling pork chops. In fact, I, I, I could be wrong. I think most of the pork chops you're, you're making, they're going in Billy's belly. 
Yeah, there you go. And then we're also giving away, you know what, that third ethic, Jack. I get to give this away to people that need it. We've given pigs away to churches. We've given pigs away to neighbors because we're, like you said, and it was one of the most profound things you had said to me, and it, it should have been common sense to me, but it, it it just didn't ring home until you said it. And, like, you can't engage in charity until you're from a point of abundance. And I'm paraphrasing right. what you said, but it, that was essentially it. But it's very profound. So, be, yes, we do raise our chickens for free using the chicken tractor on steroids. If anybody wants any, uh, we have playlists on it at the YouTube channel, so you can find that. Um, we raise our pigs, yes, 21 cents a pound. And if I farrowed my own pigs, it would be absolutely free. Now, when I did the video on it before, when I was doing the pig butchery or the dollars and cents of it, I told them 31 cents. And sadly, I lied about it because I didn't think nobody would believe me if I told them 21 cents. <laughs> I was like... Nobody is going to believe this, man. I'm going to tell them 21 cents. So how do we do it? Well, um, we basically bought those pigs for, I think, 60 bucks a piece. And then we raise them for a short top while, get them trained to fence, which is easy to do. And for those of you out there that are thinking, ah, man, do I really want to mess with pigs? Well, I'll tell you what, they're easier to raise than chickens. They really are. Much easier, requires less work, and um, they're pretty easy to train. So they're very smart creatures. I would so say you, one caveat, depending on where you live. Oh, well, that's there's places where you can do a chicken and you're, you're going to have problems with blue hairs and whatnot if you do a pig. No, 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 you don't, Jack. All you do is tell them your pig identifies as a chicken or as a duck. <laughs> <laughs> you dude, you don't, all you got to do it. Remember, everybody use their lunacy in reverse. Anything they tell you, you can't do. And I feel for the fools that, Jack, I'm telling you right here, and I know you got a large audience, so I'm going to make this known to everybody. Woe unto the people that asked me to put on a mask again, because you're going to want to see the viral video I'm about to make. The next time these fools tell me I can't walk into a place without wearing a mask, I won't spring the trap right now, but that's another thing. But back to your question, 21 cents a pound, yeah, we raised it for 21 cents, and here's how we did it. We basically, I get so much in terms of food scraps that I can select the very, very best. Okay. And, you know, garbage in, garbage out, good food in, good pork out. So we were raising guinea hogs up on the side of this mountain, and I raised them uh, for, well, this is a survival podcast. Well, one of the biggest things people neglect in their preparedness is fat. You get nine calories per gram. So I raised guinea hogs for two reasons. Number one, they can easily turn all this green stuff I'm looking at outside this window into the best most sublime fat on the world. And even though you don't get a whole lot of meat out of them, it is the best meat on planet earth. It's delicious. Absolutely best pork. I, I would say maybe not mess beef. I think Katahdin sheep is, but the best pork on planet earth, but you don't get a whole lot out of it, but that's not, not why, not why I'm raising a Guinea hog. So I'm raising them for free. I'm also raising like right now I have five, Yorkshires that are ready to put in the freezer, but because I raise them for free or feed them for free, I can leave it on the hoof as long as I want. Mm -hmm. So I'm not taking them into a butcher. I know how to butcher. I'm taking these best food scraps that I've gotten from all these different places. And hopefully in the podcast, I will cover that in much greater detail or at one of these workshops, like where I met Jack, I can go into much greater detail. But the point being is there are tons of places out there where you can find this food. So I'm using on all these omnivores, whether it's the chickens and the pigs, chickens, the meat we're getting for free. The compost, if you choose to sell it, 
it would pay for your own chicken and then the entire operation on top of it, and you'd still make money that you get out of that system. The pigs, I don't get any compost out of the deal, but in a way I am because every time they poop on that surface, it is going to improve the soil as long as I can keep them moving. So they glean what they can of the acorn mass out here, and I supply the rest. And so we put them in the freezer for literally 21 cents a pound, no matter the animal, whether it's a Yorkshire, which we raise for meat, because it's a long pig. We get a lot of pork, we get a lot of pork chops out of them. We also get a lot of bacon out of that. So I'm raising them for meat, getting all my fat and a little bit of meat out of those guinea hogs. It's easy to do. And the biggest crux for most people is finding those food sources. And then when you think about what I just said right here in this podcast, they really aren't that hard to find. Schools, I guarantee you got them around them. Colleges, you even got them there. Go recruit a black guy. Get him to go in there and do your talking for you. They'll even pay you like they did me. Taking the food out the front door. So much food that I can't possibly use 600 pounds a day. But it's there. Just think outside the box. There's little like, okay, one I talked about on my Patreon channel. One I discovered the other day. Because I make tons of bone sauce, Jack, I need bones. I can't possibly butcher enough animals to have enough bones. So the only place I can find bones right now is the Asian grocery store. Well, it turns out they got a lot of fresh food up in there. And the guy hit me up and says, you know, what do you do with all these bones? And these guys, it's really hard to convey what I'm trying to do. But then I said, hey, well, what do you do with all those uh, that lettuce and stuff back there that you don't sell? We throw in dumpster. We throw in dumpster. I said, you mind throwing it in the back of my truck? He said, no, no, truck not big enough. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, dude, how much food you got? He well, said, come throw on. Throw it in there until there's no more room and throw the rest in the dumpster. There, That's right? what I'm talking about, bro. And yeah. it's not, you know, this is better than eating Chinese food at Watsy's, you know, dump house down the way. I'm getting this fresh food and some of it is organic that they got to throw it. Well, check it out. I saved, I made a blessing for him because guess what? He told me if I take this off his hands, he doesn't have to pay for the dumpster man to come out twice a week. He only has to come once a week. Permaculture, bro. Win, win. I get his food. I'm his best customer because I buy bones all the time. I get his stuff. He gets dumpster space and now he just saved a pile of money where everybody needs to save money. And at the end of the day, Always, when you go into these negotiations, remember, if you're hitting a restaurant, do it between the hours of 2 and 4. Don't go there at the lunch. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. go in the lunch rush. Don't go when they're doing food prep. Go on Tuesday. Tuesday's like the yep. slowest day in a restaurant business. I don't know why. It just is. Yep. Like Thursdays are slow in the nightclub business, and Tuesdays are slow in the in the restaurant business. And knowing that, like, I don't care what – if you're asking for waste, that's – if you're selling microgreens, go when the chef ain't busy – and the chef will talk to you. Go when that chef's busy. He's going to tell you, get your ass out. I ain't got right. time to talk to you. Tuesday, 3 o'clock p.m., the perfect time. But if you, you have to, within 2 and 4, if you go without those hours, they're not even going to give you the – in fact, they're going to be pissed off that you're wasting their time. But if you go in between those hours, 3 o'clock, no matter the restaurant, is ideal because it's it's the slowest time of every restaurant's day. So it's little things like that, you know, putting on – make yourself look the part, you know, um, Recruit somebody that may be a little bit darker. Believe it or not, especially if you're dealing with schools, it's going to work because a lot of the people that are making the call as to whether or not you get this stuff are from the leftist tradition. So if you go in there, yeah. and I, I was kidding around, but in a way. Don't make your shirt say carbon capture composters. There you that, That's it. Right. They can't tell you no now. Mic drop, dude. 
or go in there now. (laughs) there, You know, put a little lisp on and act like you got a little sugar in your tank. That works pretty good too. So if you can go in there, get a gay acting black dude to go go in there, do all your talking, bro, you'd be shocked at the doors that are going to open for you. I'm joking to a certain extent, but in a way I'm not. So just like Jack said, where, oh, you can't raise pigs around here. I don't know what you're looking at, Jack, but this pig over here identifies as a chicken. Or you can't have roosters. My rooster is a dog. Anything. Use it on them. I, uh, I'm not joking. I have a new, uh, I'm, I'm working with some folks. We're going to, ha- cause we're going to bring in swag back to, for TSP and for Bitcoin breakout. And I'm going to help people since we're print on demand. We can have anything we want in there. I'm going to have them find me a good looking kind of golf shirt, right? And we're going to put, we're going to come up with a logo, just a generic logo, carbon capture composters, Inc. Doesn't Dang. mean absolutely jack diddly squat, right? <laughs> And if somebody wants a shirt to be able to walk around and ask for stuff for recycling, composting, harvesting wave streams, just put that. Don't tell them that's who you're with. Just wear the shirt and go get your stuff. And they're going to tell you, no, you don't care about carbon capturing. I thought your company was ESG, dude. There you go, Jack. That's the, it's all this thinking outside the box. It's like, okay, you go to Asheville right now. They say they got a big homeless problem, right? Everywhere yeah. you go, they got the same MO. A guy's holding a sign up and you can barely read it. And then it's always some hard luck story. So I'm like, okay, one of these days, I'm going to go up to one of these bums and I'm going to say, look, I want you to hold this sign for me. And I would bet a dollar to a dime if you were to make people laugh, they would fill up that kitty much more than if you made them cry. Like, you know, get one of these guys that's destitute on the street, and I just want to get him to hold up a sign that says, Jag needs a tune-up. Or Dude, this happened here. We had a dude named A.W. Pantoja, and he had this guy named Jimbo, and used to send him out to do, like, nonsense at rush hour, and they called it Stupid Human Tricks. And he, he sent Jimbo out one time and he had a son that said, I'm not going to lie. I just need a beer. He got in like an hour. He got a 12 pack of beer in like $25. What's wrong with that? Hold <laughs> a sign. If you can make people laugh, I'm going to do this as another one of those social experiments that I intend to do. I would bet money that you could probably get way more butts and seats, way more money. If I can get one of these bums, I mean, they used to call them homeless, but let's be honest, they're bums, okay? A lot of these guys are bums. Um, there is a difference between homeless and bums. So for anybody there out there. Is. I don't want to offend people that are legitimately stuck there, but I'm telling you, the people you're talking about, I used to run a construction company here, and I could hire anybody for $10 a day to run a shovel and then work them up from there. And I would pull over and I'd go, you got something? And I'd say, jump in the truck. We're going out to a job site right now. I need an extra labor. I'll pay you $10 cash at the end of the day. I don't even need paperwork from you. Get in the truck. And I'd have four Mexicans in the back of the truck, and I'm sure that upset somebody. Well, get over it. Those were the guys that showed up to work. Yep. And and they would just be sitting there shaking their head, and they'd know that dude was not getting in their truck. And they'd come up, well, you know, my back hurts or whatever. Like, all right, well, see you. Dude, that's exactly what I'm talking about, Jack. I don't want to hear anything about an American-born citizen, when you had those same Mexicans, probably 15 to an inner tube floating across the Rio Grande, came <laughs> over here, and now they're working for you for 10 bucks, and will go out there and hit a lick, just like I did, just like I described in that butcher shop. 
It's all a matter. Look, you better stand up and smell the corruption or you're going to fall asleep drinking the hemlock. So if you don't stand up and start kicking some butt and going out there and making things happen for yourselves and quit telling these black kids out there, you can't do it. You're a victim. Nonsense. Say, look, I want you to go after Moby Dick in a rowboat and take the tartar sauce with you. Just like Zig Ziglar always used to say. Go out there, stand up, and get it done. You are too Americanized. That's our problem. We're too Americanized, and we're too willing to have somebody, you know, we're we're too willing to have somebody and believe them tell us, oh, you can't do this. You can't be this. You can't do whatever. Well, you're looking at two guys right here on this screen in this podcast that by every metric should probably be scrubbing dishes and sing-sing right now. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you that's know. why I can't. I, people ask me about the military, and it's part of me that wants to badmouth it. It saved my ass. Mine too. I was on my way to knowing a lot about the inside of Pottsville, Pottsville City Jail. Really? Yeah. I mean, and, and I probably was going to the state pen after that, and I, I hadn't done anything that bad yet. I'm not, you know, saying that I did, but I'm saying that the path I was on was very clear, and the people that were on the path with me that didn't leave. That's where they ended up. And some of them, their lives are for, irrevocably destroyed at this point. You know, I always tell people, you know, your life, your mission in life's not over as long as you can fog a mirror, but there is a point where you've done things wrong enough that crawling out of that hole can almost be impossible. Like maybe you can make something out of it, but you're never going to walk free again. So I have a friend I went to school with who was a very close friend and he's in prison for life and he has a very slight chance of parole. He'll be in his seventies. Well, Jack, I, I tell you what, it, it gives me joy to know that, you know, looking at looking at the in this live stream and I'm looking at some of the people in there and I'm looking at you. It will be my life's greatest honor to be able to share a FEMA camp jail with you John, <laughs> and all the other people that are in this thing. It will be you know what I will give you. I will do a Pee Wee Herman and slip you a um, a shank or a foot long. No, the, the only foot longs we're going to be getting in there are going to be coming from the. uh <laughs> I better not say it, dude. Are <laughs> going to be from the prison guards that Hillary's controlling or whoever. Yeah. But honestly, it will be my honor to share that prison camp with you and John from So the Land. I'm sure they're not going to get us all kicking and scratching. They'll bag us at 3 a.m. But anyway, it would be a joy to share that prison camp with you, brother. All right, man. I'm I'm probably going down before I get inside the gate, but uh <laughs> I'm on a fight. But but if I end up in there, we'll have some fun. Well, that's fun, man. Um, let's talk a little bit about, I'm going to put your, your, uh, your store page up on the screen right now for those that are in the, uh, in the video and, uh, talk about some of the stuff you guys sell because, like I said, you're doing some value add and I think that's really helpful. You tell me what you want on the screen and I'll scroll to it. Yeah, you can do it all, bro. Uh, we got, so we, we grow a lot of comfrey. And we consider that a byproduct of just good management. And, you know, we sell it out there because, as you know, it is great for everything. Our bottles look a lot better than that right now. That was a temporary stick. We haven't yet changed it on there. But we sell Comfrey. We sell Comfrey Sav, um, probably the most useful and most used plant that we have at this farm. That is bone sauce, okay, Billy's bone sauce. No, that's not portographic, and it's not something you put on barbecue. You definitely ain't going to eat that. No. So you shouldn't. But basically, Sepp Holzer, Jack brought him up a little while ago, the genius Sepp Holzer invented. No, he didn't invent it. He basically made the world aware of bone sauce. 
and we sell it at the website. It is the world's best deer repellent, and we've invented a process to make it even stronger than the way SEP did. So if you, but it's a double edged sword, y'all. We had one case where a lady was sick of her hunting, her husband hunting on the front porch. So she put it all over the trees in the front. And this poor SOB's got to go out and hunt like regular people now. And he blames <laughs> me for it. So just remember when you use this stuff, it, it is very powerful. And if you're looking to deer hunt, do not use this stuff and then complain to me that it ain't, that you can't hunt anymore because According to SEP, this stuff can last up to 30 to 50 years. So, you know yes. what I'm thinking, though, right? I'm thinking about putting it on your buddy's boots. <laughs> oh. And then get downwind of him when you go out hunting together. <laughs> oh, dude, that is awesome. It, it works, man. It's it's not a panacea, but it is the best deer repellent on planet Earth. The Comfrey Sav, we make everything here. Our, the beeswax that's in it, every bit of it came from the farm, except for the um, organic... Uh, I think we may take a page out of Jack's book one of these days where we use pig fat, but right now we're using organic yeah. olive oil um, or maybe even some beef fat. We'll figure out exactly. I just started doing fat. that because I had a guest on about it. I've been using olive oil my whole life. And I'll tell you, it is worth trying the uh, the lard because it does absorb in the skin faster. Like the olive oil sometimes will leave a little bit of a glisten like that. I think it's because the pig fat and the human fat is so close that our skin takes it in better, but that's, I didn't know that six months ago. Wow. So that, that pig's getting on me on each side of the skin then. Yeah. Coming from the mouth and from the other place. But yeah, man, it's, <laughs> it sounds like, it sounds like it's going all the way around as all far way as, around, man. Full you know, this, this, this is what I'm talking about. But yeah, we, yeah, we do that. My son does consultations. He's extraordinary at it. And, um, you know, we have a bunch of other things as far as affiliates and stuff, but those are the basic things that we have right now. And, we have a weird business model that you may find a little bit weird, Jack. If you notice all those things there, except for the Comfrey Sab, when you buy Comfrey from us, you never got to buy it again. When you buy Bone Sauce, you almost certainly never have to buy it again. So we are selling products that put us out of business. So we don't have a whole lot of consumable products outside of the Comfrey Sab. So we want to make things that are so good that we make us irrelevant. So that's ultimately, and also replacing it with other things, but we're, we're trying to source things right here at the uh, at the farm, and like you had asked beginning, I could sell meat, I could sell a lot of meat, I could do all of the, all of that, but I would rather use that for that third ethic in terms of helping other people around me and helping my neighbors, helping my friends. You know, um, we don't sell anything like that because honestly, I I guess there's things I shouldn't probably say here, but I'll put it this way. If you did have an animal that I processed and, you know, they want it USDA qualified, well, who's to say that you buy it and then I just give it to you under plastic? That might be a way of doing things. You bought it on the hoof, but, you know, who says, who cares how I deliver it to you? So there are ways. That's another thing of thinking outside the box. If you think you got to go to a mainstream butcher all the time to get things done, well, there's a whole lot of handshake deals that happen out there, and I oh, ain't yeah. wrong. And like I said, there's places when you're in the country, maybe it's illegal, but you don't want to, you don't want to talk to anybody about it because you might just not be there anymore. You might hear some banjo music and just disappear off into nowhere. Um, and there's always creative ways. I call it status jujitsu. So we managed right. to farm uh, in West Virginia and we had a pretty decent market for raw milk and it is the worst state as far as Gestapo on raw milk in all 50 states. It's worse in California. 
There is literally no legal way to do it. You can't do a cow share. You can't do any of that stuff. But what, and you can't sell it as like pet food. So if you market for pet food, they close that loophole. Do you know what you can sell it for? Soil amendment. And you can market the fact that it's the freshest milk for soil amendments that there is in the mix. <laughs> refrigerated from the moment it comes out of the cow. You will never have something to feed the microbes in your soil more fresh than our fresh milk. And you market with the label from the state that says to use this in a manner inconsistent with its labeling is a violation of federal and state law. But no one's coming to your refrigerator to see what you're doing with it. And you say, please keep it refrigerated. There you go. And so there is always a way to maneuver around their bullshit. It's like the Matrix. Because they created rules for themselves, the rules apply to them. And I know somebody's out there going to get all upset in the chat right now. No, they break the rules all the time. Yes, but there is some way in which the rules affect their behavior. It is up to you to know the behavior of the person you're playing chess against. Because just because the book said if you if you use the Queen's Gambit on the open, it's going to work. It doesn't mean it is. You got to know your opponent, but there is always a way to leverage these people against themselves. And you know, one thing people really need to get through their head, Billy, punishable by a fine. Do you know what that means? Legal for a fee. There you go. And so if you build a business model and the worst thing that happens, if I get a fine, I'm going to get a $500 fine and I'm going to make a thousand dollars a week doing it. And it might take you a year to catch me. You need to start thinking like Monsanto in a way. Because when they get a fine for $50 million for something that made them $5 billion, they just pay the fine and don't care. So we need to build loss. In, like as agorists, we need to build loss into our business models. Because just because something is illegal does not mean that it's immoral. And just because something is legal does not mean that it's moral. There's been a lot of illegal shit that's been moral a lot of times in history. And there's been a lot of stuff that is wholly immoral that has been completely legal. So I don't really care if something's illegal. I do care about going to prison. And I'm not going to prison. But if it's a fine, baby, that's legal for fee. And sometimes right. I'm willing to pay. If, you know, sometimes when I go out to eat, I eat a meal that's worth 20 bucks, right? But I pay $100 for it because I want service, so I'll pay the fee for the service. There well, you go. sometimes, you know, I want to do a thing, and if it has a fee to it, I'll pay the fee if you catch me. There you go. Catch me first. Yeah, I'm all about Pretty that. Slippery. I'm not asking permission anymore. That's no. why, you know, when I did this thing on guerrilla gardening on YouTube, I'm just not going to ask for permission, which should be a lot of these rights we don't have because we just choose not to assert them. You know, this is whatever the case may be. At the end of the day, I will live a free man. I will live a free man. I will not be holding and I will not live by their leave. I will not give consent. I would, there's a whole lot of things I will not do, but at the end of the day, this is why I live the life I do. I do, Jack. This is why I do it because I want to be able to speak and say whatever I want to say. And I can't do that if I'm working somebody else's nine to five. I can't do that if I'm so heavily leveraged in so many bills that I have to be careful because they might just scrub me off of YouTube. Okay. Well, who cares? I got a podcast now. Okay, well, do I have to make money doing that? No, I got other sources of income that I don't even tell people about just in case some lunatic is offended about the things I said with Jack Spearco and decides to take everything I have. But at the end of the day, you can drop me off in these woods and wet weather boots and a G-string, and I'm going to work out just fine. I'm going to figure out a way to live out there. You dig? So that's exactly what I'm talking about. This, I'm living what I love. 
And if you take that all away from me, it's not what I find most important. You know, I kid around and I joke around at the end of the day, you know, I'm a blood bought uh, believer of Christ. And for me, at the end of the day, my soul is prepared no matter how this goes down. So at the end of the day, I don't live in fear. I'm not worried about what the powers that shouldn't be are going to try to do to me. I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about that. I'm trying to build more connections and get to know more of the people out here that are listening to this. So it's been a real joy to hang out with you, um, Jack. Sorry, I almost called you John. All you people look the same to me. Um, That's all right. I'll get over it. <laughs> he wishes he looked like me. That's all yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. yeah anyway, <laughs> go ahead, man. No, it's, it's, it's been such a joy, man. I never, never, back when I started listening to you in 08, and I think you started in 08, I never would have figured myself on the other side of this uh, microphone from me, bro. So I thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a real joy, but folks, I mean, I wish we could, honestly, Jack, I don't know if this would ever pan out, but somebody should honestly record the cutting up and the conversations we had when they're, when we weren't doing something like this, because honestly, people would be like, what you guys talk about this oh, yeah. kind of stuff? We, we do broad, we call it broadcasting shenanigans. It usually involves karaoke though. And so, at the workshops, we live stream all the presentations and then late at night, Nicole and her ilk will get out all the sound gear and we pull up YouTube and put in, you know, whatever song karaoke and we live stream that. We could live stream some bullshit too. We don't, we don't publicize it. It's kind of like you got to be monitoring the channel to know it's there when it happens. And what's stupid though is YouTube will demonetize all that shit because it's karaoke. So they'll inevitably wow. say one of the songs is a copyright violation. Well, I promise you when we're doing Devil Went Down to Georgia, it ain't Charlotte Daniels singing and their <laughs> AI needs some incredible amount of work because you want some bad cover music. Come to TSPC and participate in karaoke craziness and we will uh, live stream shenanigans. But you're giving me an idea. You should just have like a discussion going on and tell Hatch, because he's our AV guy, don't tell us. Just there you go. sneak the tripod in and turn it on and just let it go. And, but just don't put it on, on, on publish. It'll have to be like, you know, you see it if it's live, but then it becomes Memorex only if you know where the link is or something. Cause God knows what the hell would go out of there. But dude, I've had a blast. Uh, you are welcome back anytime you mentioned you'd want to get me on the pimp cast. I'll come on there with you any day awesome. that I'm available anyway. I actually do this five days a week and some days twice a day. Um, but we'll, we'll make it work. And I definitely want you here in November. I want to give you a, a two hour slot. If anybody's out there, especially if you're not in my fold, cause we're simulcast on my channel and Billy's channel both. And you're like, well, how do I sign up for this workshop? You get involved with the TSP community like now, immediately, you get on all the distribution lists and on the day it goes for sale, you get on there like you're buying tickets to a rock concert that's going to sell out because we only do 50 seats for this because it's intimate and it usually doesn't last two minutes. So it's, it, you guys hear us talking about it, if you're not familiar, it is not something that you procrastinate on and I'm not saying that out of ego. I'm saying that because I've got people been here, you know, over eight years. We've probably done 24 workshops and they've been to 12 or 13 or 14 of them. And every year I see people that are like, dude, I didn't get in. And I feel bad because they're like friends and we just have a three acre property, 
an 1,800-square-foot shop that we do everything in. Like, we have a space limitation. And last year we did 65 people, and we're not doing it again. <laughs> it was it was too many. Some dude sent up a drone and did aerial footage during the day when all the cars were here. And I'm like, I, I, if we had another one, it put it on the roof. Like, there was no place for vehicles to go. So uh, if y'all want to know more about TSP, you guys that are on Billy's end with the, his channel, uh, just go to the survivalpodcast.com for people that are just seeing you for the first time, Billy, and like, I want to know more about the pimp daddy of permaculture. How do they find out more about you? You know, I'm glad, you know, I had forgotten that we were simulcasting this. So um, there's going to be no doubt thousands and thousands from my end also that see this. Folks, if you don't know about Jack Spearco and the Survival Podcast, you don't know what you're missing. Like I said, he was one of the biggest inspirations I had to even discover permaculture so and we talked about that in the beginning of it so you definitely want to check out the survival podcast best podcast out there extraordinary broadcaster the whole nine yards i mean he's a pro's pro so you'll be glad you did um as far as out of reach me yeah just check out uh the permaculture pimp cast you can find it on all podcast platforms um, we got a YouTube channel, um, the per- Perma Pastures Farm, and I think you can see where the permaculture inspiration is and all that. And then you can also check out our website. And I guess I'm told we're on Instagram, but my son does most of that. So yeah, there's my, there's my stuff right there. So anybody YouTube wants to channel check guys. Yeah. Maybe. So that's YouTube channel. So but folks do yourself a favor. Check out TSP, the survival podcast. He's been at this forever and a day and it's probably inspired more people to understand preparedness and permaculture from, I'm not going to say a, a right point of view, but from a liberty minded perspective, which I think is the best perspective. There's never been a person. I often say that Joel Salatin's probably inspired more people to become farmers than anybody else out there, but Jack has probably inspired more people to consider this lifestyle and to put foot to butt and to do more than they ever thought possible. So, uh, Jack, I thank you so much for the inspiration of what you've done in my life and for the, what you've done in my family. It was a joy to meet you. And I look forward to getting out there, going back to Texas, man. I left Texas just three years ago, bro. This is like the Israelites going right back into Egypt. So, uh, this ought to be interesting. (laughs) You know what? If nothing else, then maybe, I don't know if you'd have time for it. You'd probably be up to your eyeballs, but anybody out there, we still own our land back in Texas. It has now been turned into a full-fledged food forest that was left alone for two and a half years. Last time we looked at it, absolutely thriving. So these permaculture methods, they do work. Awesome. And I'll be back there. On the way to Jack's place, I'll be going back there doing another. Jack, if you want to go out there and meet me at Billy's Jungle Palace of Love out there in Decab, Texas, you're welcome. Man, I'd love to, but you're talking a day or two before 80, 90 people are here because I say 50 students when you get staff and all and people like you. I mean, yeah, I don't think I can pull it off. I'd love to do it, but not that week because <laughs> my wife will kill me because I'm the one that causes all these people to come to our house. Cause people stay here like most of the people camp on our property. And so people show up on Wednesday afternoon and they're here on Sunday morning usually. So that's my wife's kind of an introvert. So she does well with it, but. If I bailed on one-tenth of one percent of prep for it, uh, and then somebody asked, it's probably one of your folks, um, if, if we do a discount, uh, it has how much, and if we do a discount for spouses. We don't because it's, it's such a limited number of seats and because we sell out so fast, um, and the cost is 600 And I, I started at 5 and I held it there for years, 
And with inflation, obviously, it costs me because I, I, I don't feed you crap. I feed you and feed you and feed you. People will ask in a telegram loop, but where, where can we get snacks around there? Like, you don't need snacks. Like, you leave here hungry. That's your fault. And we're very meat centric. Um, but yeah, come on over and check us out if you haven't on Billy's uh, YouTube channel, guys. I want y'all to notice something. I don't, if you saw it or not on the screen there, but I just hit subscribe. Now, you know why I hit subscribe? Because I hit subscribe like three times and I keep getting unscribed. So if you are uh, supporting somebody's YouTube channel and all of a sudden you don't see their content anymore, YouTube has a tendency to unsubscribe people. It happens all the time. I had somebody, it happened to three times in the middle of a live stream telling me it's happening right now. But the other thing I want to tell you, whether it's my channel, Billy's channel, any good creator's channel, once you get this little subscribe button here, see this little bell? Ding that bell and click all, and that way, anytime they put new content, unless they unsubscribe you, you'll get an email, and that way we can stay in touch with you because I'll just you know, speak for you on this because I'm sure I can, and that is that it's a lot of work to develop all this content that we put out on YouTube. Like People think when you're doing your composting or whatever, I mean, doing the podcast this way, this is easy. It's double duty. It's it's function stacking. But people think, oh, Jack's going to make the compost anyway. Billy's going to make the compost anyway. It is five times more work to do it and document it. That's right. Than it is to just do it. And there's a lot of times I don't put stuff out because I'm like, I don't have time today. And so all of the creators, not just us, all the creators that take their time to document what they're doing, they're doing it. Yeah, some of them make a good living doing it. I make a good living doing what I do. I'm not going to apologize for it. But if you weren't mission oriented, you'd be making stupid TikTok videos, shoving stuff up your nose or something for money. You wouldn't be doing homesteading, permaculture. Pre- like if, if someone's doing that and they're delivering you value, make sure you stay in touch with what they're putting out because you never know what they're going to come up with. I watch people, Billy, because as much as I come up with, it'll be this dude comes up with this one thing. This dude comes up with this one thing. And I've already got this thing, and it's like keys, and those things go together. So, yep. guys, take care of your YouTube, YouTubers, podcasters. You guys on podcasts, Billy, we got him to claim his podcast on Fountain. I already boosted him a thousand sats the day he showed up there. I told him a pimp doesn't hate money, and so if you don't claim your podcast, you ain't no pimp, right? And so, like, it was like a day later, it's like he still hadn't done it, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I saw he claimed it, and I'm like, okay. So I threw him a thousand sats. If you want to boost me, Billy, any podcaster you love, get on the Fountain app. It's at fountain.fm and uh, you can give us value for value there using Satoshi's. And I saw somebody, somebody boosted you and it said, you may not like Bitcoin, but Bitcoin likes you. That, that was a great boost. <laughs> now that, that was great. It's not that I don't like Bitcoin. I just don't understand it to the full extent that I should to be able to. In- intelligently speak about it and i'm going back and listening to more of what you talked about as well i know there's value in it i just yeah. don't understand it well enough what i do understand is gold and silver i understand yeah i understand well, here's you know, what you actually, can't do with gold and silver dude you can't be like i love billy bond and i love listening to his stuff and i'm gonna i'm gonna stream him 10 micrograms of gold a minute but that's what people are doing for you right now people right now are listening to your podcast on fountain and so they're saying, yeah, this is this is valuable shit. So I'm going to give this guy eight, ten Satoshis a minute. And then if you get your son, because he does all your technical shit for you, you can create an account and let him do it for you. You can set up splits, so you can basically pay him for what he's doing by splitting your value. Okay. As far as that, 
that last part where everybody can get a hold of me, check me out on Fountain and go ahead and work. <laughs> Instead of that YouTube, yeah, you can go ahead and do that. Yeah. Go ahead and break bread over on Fountain. You know, baby needs shoes. It's five dollars a shoe, brother. That's six. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm I'm gonna art. My goal in life is to orange pill every podcaster on the planet, and this is how I'm gonna do it. Hey, dude, this was freaking fantastic. I will I would love to have you on again. I don't know, like. Maybe we should do like a quarterly that's like Billy and Jack break the world or something. Just not even about permaculture, just about the world in general. It'd be great. And, uh, and, and thank you for being here. Yeah, guys, get over to his site. About one hour after this live stream ends, which will be in a couple seconds, uh, there will be a post published on my blog that will have all the links, the show notes, the resources, the audio, all the ways you can get in touch with me, all the ways you can get in touch with Billy. And uh, if you're new to the Survival Podcast today, get on over there, get on my daily mail, click on the tab for that, and just fill out a form. I'll never give your information to anybody because I'm greedy, and I don't want anybody else to have your information because then you're my customer, and why would I do that? And uh, once a day, you'll get a daily mail from me. They'll tell you about all the new stuff going on. It's just a little simple four or five bullet points and some links. Billy, thank you for being with me today. Thank you, Jack. It's been a pleasure. Well, that was a fantastic discussion. I really hope Billy is able to be here in November. It looks like that's going to happen. Uh, I am stoked about that. I am stoked about maybe doing some combination thinking on the chicken tractor on steroids version of composting and the Johnson Sioux-ish version that I do. Uh, i I, I got to be honest. I've almost gone out and grabbed a, a, a baseball-sized chunk of my compost wrapped it up in plastic so it doesn't uh, dry out, and sent it to Billy just, just to get him to give it a shot already. I haven't done that yet, but I don't know. After that discussion, maybe I will. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me remind you, if you like this show and the work that we do, you can always help support us by doing your online shopping where? You know where? tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. You go to tspaz.com and you buy anything. If you start your shop in there, you help support us. It doesn't cost you a dime extra to do that. But you can glean a lot of information from my reviews. I review tons of products. They're not all prepper, uh, by the way. But some of the stuff really is, even though it doesn't seem it isn't. If it goes in your kitchen and helps you make great food, it's a prepper product. Because we have to you know, look at the fact that one of our six primary survival needs is food. Today is the OXA 4-in-1 Immersion Blender. I realized I hadn't brought this thing around in a long time. I love this thing. So we got an Immersion Blender because we make so much soup for workshops, especially like the squash apple soup. And, and blending hot soup in a Vitamix batch at a time when you're making gallons of it is cumbersome, messy, and dangerous. So I originally found this because I just wanted an Immersion Blender. But I also hate unitaskers. I have that in common with Alton Brown of TV fame. I don't like to buy a thing to put in my kitchen that only does a thing. This one lets you make smoothies and stuff like that, which to me isn't really that big of a deal because I have a Ninja and it stays on the counter. But it also has a little whisk brush that it, it automates, and that is cool for making froths and mayos and stuff like that if you don't want to take out a big food processor. And on that, it has a mini food processor. Basically, it's the chopping-only kind but salsas, pestos, picos, etc. You can whip them up in no time at all. The thing is so little, the part that go that, that gets dirty just goes in the dishwasher. And it's on sale today for uh, 30% off retail. And again, it is called the OXA 4-in-1 Immersion Blender. Now, this is the thing. You know me. I recommend quality. I bought this thing five years ago. 
I brought it to you five years ago. I use it three, four times a month minimum because I do a lot with little sauces and stuff like that. And again, I don't want to get out my big 11 cup food processor unless I'm making like I made salsa for a family party last week and we made, you know, giant bowls. So we got the big one out or nah, we'll talk more about food process in an upcoming show on cooking. But like if I'm like, you know what would be really good with the salad that we're doing with this steak would be like a little bit of like a pico or a pesto or something like that or uh, a chimichurri or something and I need enough for two people. Yeah, I mean, you get this thing out, you put the lid on it, you stick the wand in it, you hit buzz and it's done. And again, you just throw the other parts in the dishwasher. Five years, still works like the day I got it. This is the quality you want. And if you do soups and sauces and stuff... Where you're having to transfer to large pieces of like you know large amounts into like blenders and stuff, it is dangerous when you're processing it hot, and it, it just adds to your mess. This thing's kind of self-cleaning as well, so check it out. And remember, you can always help support us if you do your online shopping at tspaz.com. Last but not least, if you stayed this long, remember you can help support this show by becoming a member of the members support brigade. If you do that, you'll help support the show at about $0.18 cents an episode. But right now, it's more like $0.11 cents an episode because it's on sale for 30 bucks with a discount code TROLL. I do take Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Though if you pay me with another cryptocurrency, it's going to get turned into Bitcoin, just so you know, full disclosure. Um, and I usually do a discount for crypto. I can't do that with the sale price. But you have both options to pay. Discount code TROLL. And remember, it's because of all the trolling we've had lately. My birthday is next week. Give me a birthday present. Uh, become a member. Get your value back in spades. The discounts on things like CBD products. The discount on ButcherBox. The discount uh, on on things like Start9. Like, it just pays for itself. And more than one of you have, like, I got this for my uh, imaginary friend, Jack, just so I could buy one to support you with the trolls. Um, if you're going to do something like that and you don't want that account to renew, let me know and I'll cancel the renewal on it for you. With that, again, thanks to everybody. I know I went long with the Boostergrams today. I just feel obligated to acknowledge you guys that are doing it. I'll start picking like 10 at random uh, or some that maybe are really cool in the future. If I left you out, I'm sorry. Uh, we can only spend so much time doing that in an episode. Anyways, this is a great episode. I will catch you tomorrow, and we will have an expert council Q&A show tomorrow. You pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house. The American way Dollar down, a dollar a month And you never have to pay There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way